I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I am Tom Bionic. Is is um is that your middle name? Yeah. Okay. Uh it's like steakums. Yeah, it's hard those. it's hard to denote the rise in pitch. Yeah, <laughs> okay. I understand. Ladies and gentlemen, it's great to be back with you for another week of the Future Quake Show. Uh as we normally have during a week, we have a special guest this week. We actually have a returning guest as well as a substitute uh for his cohort. Uh we have the producers of the new documentary out called Don't Tread on Me. We have Gary Franchi and Debbie Lewis uh setting in for William Lewis. Uh and they're going to be talking about the growing movement to restore constitutional federal government. It's a topic we touch on here topic. and there, yeah. here and there on our show. Some people mm-hmm. probably don't like to hear it, get tired of it. Yep. Um, but this, the, these people do a very good work, credible work. They, they have a, a modest production outfit, but they do a nice quality work. Have people like Alex Jones and others mm-hmm. appear in their work, and people like uh, uh, Edwin Vieira. Edwin is Vieira, very, a big fan. I'm a very big fan. scholarly person, and I think mm-hmm. you all are going to enjoy it. So, with no further ado, uh, here is Gary Franchi and Debbie Lewis, the producers of Don't Tread on Me. And then we'll be back to wrap up a pure future quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I'm Tom Bionic. And we have some guests who are returning with us uh, for a second uh, visit. Actually, we have one with a uh, representative representing yep. them. Stand in. Uh, stand in. We have uh, back on Future Quake, uh, Gary Franchi. And uh, we have Debbie Lewis, representing William Lewis, co-producer uh, of the new documentary out called Don't Tread on Me. And we're going to be talking this week about the growing movement to restore constitutional federal government. Uh, and I just want to tell you, Gary and Debbie, it is great to have you back on the Future Quake show. Uh, your group's last visit with us uh, discussing your last production, Camp FEMA, was a big hit with our listeners and uh, even if you are listed, I guess Debbie isn't, but the rest of you guys are listed as veritable terrorists, uh, <laughs> according to the Southern Poverty Law Center and others. Uh, even that, we think you're pretty good folks. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I would certainly welcome you back on the Future Quake Show. Well, it's great to be here. Thanks. Thanks for having us back. Well, we Thanks pre- for having us. Debbie, it's great for you to join us uh, on William's behalf. Uh, and I know you're very much in the middle of this uh, in your small operation you have that's had such a huge impact uh, on this subject in this field, and uh, I know you all plan to continue to generate good, high-quality material like this with some uh, leading figures who participate in your work here, and I just appreciate you all making time for us to let our audience uh, around the world and uh, uh, close by here in Nashville, Tennessee, uh, know about what, what's available now and that they need to get their hands on. Uh, by the way, has there been any fallout from uh, your all's listing on this uh, uh, Southern Poverty Law Center? Uh, I don't know what they call you all, terrorist or just bad people list or whatever. Uh, I, w- I would assume you'd taken it as a badge of honor with all the other prestigious people alongside you on yeah. that list. Yeah, I, I definitely would say so. Um, I don't think any negative fallout has occurred. I think we've actually received more publicity. Wow. Uh, Camp Pima was then featured on CNN alongside some other patriots uh, in the, in this new feature they did called the Rage on the Right. Or on the, uh, you know, they're just 
when they go out and try to attack us, it just you know sheds more light on the issue, gives us more opportunity to talk about it. So you know, it doesn't bother me much. Yeah, well, it, it shows that basically you're having an impact. Uh, for people like that to notice you on a national scale around impact. But I have to say, I, I don't remember having heard the work that I've heard of yours to date. have not heard about you saying you hate a lot of people. So I'm not quite sure how it's hate speech uh, when it's talking about trying to have a, create a society uh, where people can you know, be well-adjusted and, and raise their families and things like that. So did I miss something on y'all's work? Do y'all, are y'all hating somebody that, that I missed out on? Well, you know what's really funny about that is on their very own website, some of the comments that their readers left, you know, ask them, did you even watch the film? Because they don't talk about hate at all. In fact, they expose hate. Right. We expose hate in World War II for the Japanese Americans. We expose the government trying to inter black Americans in the 70s, you know, into the, or the early 80s into the Brinker Hoffman uh, memos. So, you know, they had their own readers attacking them at that point, saying, what are you talking about? <laughs> it was and funny. You're right, and it seems like your work has had the intended goal of trying to unite Americans rather than pitting some against others, either different races or classes or, or whatever. Your attempt has shown that we all have a common destiny and that uh, promoting freedom and the rule of law through the Constitution is something that is absolutely in everyone's interest. Well, I think it's what, it's what made this country great. You know, it's the founding documents that, you know, create a prosperous nation. And adherence to, you know, to, to those fundamentals. And once you stray away from those issues, you, you get the problems we have today. You know, you, you see the government running out of control. You see them uh, paying off the, their friends at Wall Street, passing down draconian legislation like the Patriot Act. And... They're setting up in permanent camps for for distance. Mm-hmm. So th- this is the this is the strange uh, alternate reality that we happen to find ourselves in. And all we're trying to do is, is shed a light on those issues and give people the tools, the information, so that they can have a an understanding of it, and also provide them with solutions. So that it's not like we're slamming a door in their face and locking them into a dark room. You know, we want to lead them out, and we want to. You know, hold their hand and say, look, there's, there's other people who are involved in this, and we're all moving forward together. Let's work together to educate, activate, and restore America. Okay. Now, it's been a while since your last work, Camp FEMA, was out. Uh, can you tell us what you feel like you've accomplished since then with that last effort and what inspired you to do your new work, Don't Tread on Me? Well, you know, Camp FEMA has, has really accomplished a lot as far as, um, you know, educating the masses on this this matter. Uh, of course, we just talked about how CNN had shed light on it, and the Southern Poverty Law Center had discussed it. Um, what led us into "Don't Tread on Me" was actually an interesting kind of story. I was watching the campaign again for like the fiftieth time, and. I said to myself, as the film was starting to close, and we came to the solutions aspect of the movie at the end, and I I felt that that was starting to crescendo into another film right away. Right. So I want to know more about these solutions. I need to know more. And because at the end of Camp FEMA, we start to discuss the state sovereignty movement and the Tenth Amendment. And I said, we really need to expound on that. And there hadn't been a film that had been created yet on the issue. So 
I said to William, we have to make a movie. We have to call it Don't Tread on Me. And uh, we began work on it. And Don't Tread on Me is really, if you watch both movies back to back, they could quite literally flow right into the next Okay. One into the other. Sort of like um, Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back. The uh... Yes, exactly. Except for I am not um, this the, the son of Darth Vader. Okay. <laughs> I guess it'd be the the Freedom Seeker Strike Back would be a better term for it. Um, how, diving into the subject matter of your new uh, DVD, Don't Tread on Me, which is now available for lease, right? People can get their hands on that. Right, it's it's available for sale, sure. Uh, okay. Uh, how has our federal government abused the Constitution's Commerce Clause in the Constitution to expand their reach of authority? And what is being done now to remedy it? Well, basically, you want me to talk first, Gary, or would you like to talk? Uh, if you want to take a second, I can follow up on that. Okay. Well, basically, the Commerce Clause is, you know... Article 1, Section 8, Clause 3 of the Constitution, and it just clearly states to regulate commerce with foreign nation and um, nations and among the several states and with the Indian tribes. That's what the Commerce Clause is to do. But the Constitution, I mean the Constitution, the federal government is using that to step in and regulate everything and anything they want between the states or even in the states. Mm-hmm. And so states have decided that, you know, this, that, that, that overreaching's got to stop and we're taking back our power. Okay. All right. Well, well now, okay. yeah, Gary. If, if, if I could just uh, follow up there. The, the Commerce Clause, as she mentioned, was, was originally intended by the Founding Fathers just to regulate trade within the states so that there wouldn't be uh, people erecting tariffs and what has now become is they're using the Commerce Clause for every single thing in this country, from the federal government down. And they're using the Commerce Clause to regulate how much, you know, how much uh, water you can have your toilet. I mean, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous. So the Commerce Clause is what I, I, I refer to it in, in film. I refer to it as a choke collar. It's what they use to reel in the states whenever they want to. Well, it seems like to me it not only regulates the or reels in the states, which which I would think, you know, if there's a dispute between two neighboring states, they ought to be able to settle that out, you know, and the federal government just do a, a universal policy, you know, that expands from sea to sea. But, but it seems like it even impacts individuals because if the fact that something is being sold in more than one state means the federal government can come in and regulate it, that means I can't self-regulate it as a consumer. In other words, decide by my own purchase actions whether I'm satisfied with the product and, and the commerce as it is. They're already pre-chewing it for me. So it, it's, it's a squeeze on me as well as it is on the states when they do that. Uh, what's being done to try to, to address this or try to put a stop to this or, or retard the growth of it? Well, the states are stepping up. And this is, this is the beautiful thing is we see this resurgence uh, movement uh, at the state level in the legislative, legislative houses across the country. They're introducing Tenth Amendment resolutions, reasserting their state sovereignty. And on top of that, some states, have, many states in fact, have introduced uh, new legislation that will exempt them from the federal firearms legislation. 
say, saying that if they produce a firearm within their state out borders, that um, if it doesn't leave the borders, then it does not uh, infringe on the, the Commerce Clause, and therefore is not subject to that federal law. And then, of course, the federal government comes back and tries to you know, slap their wrist and say, no, by the way, the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearm says that you have to do this and you have to abide by this, and that's a federal law. So back and forth, you have the states fighting on this issue. And, you know, that's that's one way, or, or those, are, that, those are several ways on how the states are, are uh, rising up. Okay, okay. Absolutely, and the, and the states are... They're actually, you know, making inroads. I mean, look at Arizona right now. <laughs> of course, some people think Arizona's made a mistake, but other people are looking at Arizona as an example and a way to do business, hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah, this is a litmus test. They're taking a lot of heat because they're one of the first to stand up like this. Whether you agree with their position or not, this is a test of whether a state can monitor its own business in its own state versus meddling by the federal government. And uh, whether you agree with the decision they make or not, that's why you find it's groups, for example, in the far northeast uh, who believe in state sovereignty have a different set of values many times on many issues, probably more liberal than ones in the southern states. But what they agree Mm -hmm. in commonality is that the citizens of those states should have a lot of latitude on the values and how they live in their own regions, and they can be united in that. And Arizona is making their own decisions like that as well, too. Of course, we have the Bill of Rights and things like that that uh, that go across all of the states. But uh, certainly we, we have lived under an environment of watered-down state sovereignty over a bulk of our, our life here. Uh, well, and in the Bill of Rights, the Tenth Amendment is the last right. in the Bill of Rights. That's right. And so basically right. it puts a bookend uh, on the Bill of Rights and says these are things that every citizen of America has, the aforementioned. Uh, everything else, uh, you deal with your local state uh, to settle that. And our federal government representatives have ignored that uh, gradually since that time, particularly since the Civil War. Uh, what is going on to make state-specific gun laws, and how is that beneficial? And I want to remind you that we're, we're broadcasting out of Nashville, Tennessee, uh, have a large audience here on our AM station, our AM 760 every day, uh, here in this this area throughout Tennessee. And I know Tennessee is sort of a critical part in this issue, is it not? Well, Tennessee, Tennessee, I know, uh, also introduced that same legislation that was introduced by Montana and uh, got their hands slapped by the BATF. If you could uh, speak up just a little bit, Gary, We're, it's a little quiet. Yeah, uh, on your, no, you. Please speak up just a little bit. Uh, I know the state of Tennessee introduced legislation that would uh, fight against the Federal Firearms Act. It was the same legislation that was introduced in Montana. And I, I wholeheartedly applaud Tennessee for stepping up to the plate and saying, look, we're not going to let you know the, 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 the Yanks up north tell us how we're going to handle our firearms. You know, <laughs> the South is rising again, my friend. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and, and just if, and you correct me if this is wrong. I'm not an expert on it, but the way it works is that they are taking a very explicit interpretation of interstate commerce. That if all of the goods required for you to operate, function, use that firearm are all done within a state, automatically it is not under the jurisdiction of the federal government. So if here in Tennessee we buy a gun that's made in Tennessee, the ammunition's made in Tennessee. 
uh, you keep it here in Tennessee and use it here. Therefore, it should, by definition, be of no business to the federal government as far as regulating. Is that is that correct? Correct. Correct. So if we need that, this... That is, that is what that law says, yes. So if we need it for home defense, if we need it for hunting to feed our families, if we need it even for a militia for something that happens on Tennessee soil, we're completely at liberty to do it as long as our fellow Tennesseans agree to it. Uh, if we decide we want to go invade Indiana or something like that, that may be a different story. But as long as we're here on Tennessee soil for our own personal private activity, it's just a Tennessee issue. Is that it in a snapshot? Correct. Okay. And not only that, I mean, Tennessee and Montana have been joined now by Wyoming, Idaho, South Dakota, Utah, Arizona, and Alaska. Great. That's good. Great to hear. Let, let, let me ask you this, and I want to applaud all legislators out there, and we all need to sing, send notes of thank you and gratitude to the states who are doing this. Uh, if if we have, in line with this, if we have Tennessee farmers here that are growing food uh, or even doing you know holistic medicine or, or organic foods and spices and things like that, that, that is sold within Tennessee and consumed here, stays here, stays in our property, consumed here, shouldn't that also be a sort of a similar scenario where it should not be regulated by the federal government? Absolutely. Absolutely. Have you heard anybody attempting to uh, to try to take that from, from the foodstuffs standpoint as the next step? I have not. I'm not Jerry, familiar with that. I, I, I have not. Yeah. Is, is, there something, is there a movement like that? Is there, is there legislation working through, through the house like that? I mean, that just, uh, that idea just struck me, okay? So on this end, I've not heard anything of it. Just when I heard that, I happened to think I'm watching a man on a farm outside here as we're recording and just thinking about why can't we, if we keep our food within our state, why do we have to have it regulated and have force genetically modified food on us or, you know, other kind of additives or things like that? And why should we uh, be denied uh, other kind of... Uh, you know, medicinal herbs and other kind of things. If we take our own, take our own risk, you know, and decide to use our own uh, old-fashioned recipes or things like that, I don't see why it should be a federal issue if it doesn't cross state lines. And I just didn't know if anyone you had heard of also took up the the cause for that. I haven't heard that any that anybody has, but I I don't doubt that at at some point that's going to come around. I think that they started with the gun issue because. You know, you've got Eric Holder in office now with Obama, and there's some questionable, uh, they've done many questionable things with regards to gun rights and said many questionable things. And Montana and Tennessee started this little movement. Montana, I think, was first, and then Tennessee. And uh, the other states have followed suit. And they want to make sure that they retain their gun rights because they don't want the federal government coming and saying, oh, by the way, you have to turn in your guns because we're no longer allowing you to bear arms. Mm-hmm. Well, can you imagine if if this stands? And I can see why they would fight this very strongly, because if this stands, how it opens the floodgates uh, of diminishing their power and stranglehold over us. Let, let's say a, a, a an automaker in Tennessee decides to sell cars to Tennesseans, and they stay here, and they don't have to, you know, correspond to every regulation that the government puts on on it, or or whatever we do. And you know, there's some things we may want. Uh, features in our cars or products, but that's our business between us and our fellow Tennesseans. Gigantic it, gun racks. It doesn't. <laughs> it, does, it doesn't have to be the business of some uh, lobbyist in Washington, 
And so I exactly. can see where this, where these gun laws would be something where they really draw a line in the sand. Um, as as now as it now stands in states like Tennessee, um, is that the official law of the land uh, that these gun rules do not apply as long as you buy, you know, state produced uh, firearms and ammunition? It is in those states, in Montana and Tennessee, and then, you know, Idaho, Wyoming, South Dakota, Utah, Arizona, Alaska, they have passed the, reg- the legislation, and it has become law in their states. Hmm. Okay. All right. Hmm. The, only, the only problem is is that the federal government then has issued letters from the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms trying to tell these states that their law is nullified by the federal law. Hmm. Where, so, does, where does that stand I'm not, now? I'm not sure. I don't know where the follow-up has, uh, has been. It's something I need to actually investigate myself. But uh, I know that they've been going back and forth. Can, can, mm-hmm. you, can you imagine what would have happened 100 years ago or 150 years ago if our federal government just did that and said, the laws in your own state are nullified? Um, <laughs> you would have the representatives stand up out of Congress and march out immediately. Uh, and they would, uh, you know, they would maybe leave a note of saying, we're out of here, we're out of the union for you to do this. But it's so easy how we've just, you know, come to accept that. And uh, we just have a presumption that the federal government should be the controlling factor in everything that we do. Uh, you know, related to that, I have heard uh, some very pro-government uh, politicians, which most of them tend to be, uh, strong federal <laughs> government uh <laughs> Uh, they have have always used this excuse about why they're in every little bit of our lives and our personal lives to say, well, you know, the Constitution says that we're supposed to promote the general welfare uh, of the public, uh, and they they just drive a truck through that. Do you have any comments on the abuse of this welfare clause about promoting the general welfare, and is it being used now the way the Founding Fathers intended? Well, Want to take that? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I tell you, we we have a, a project going on in Missouri. It's called the Missouri Sovereignty Project, and they have written something incredible for as far as the federal government goes. And if you don't mind, if if it's all right, if I quote what he wrote about the general welfare clause itself, you know that might answer some questions. Sure. He, he says, whereas the phrase general welfare. And Article 1, Section 8 does not authorize Congress to enact any law it claims is in the general welfare of the United States. This was affirmed by James Madison when he wrote, With respect to the words general welfare, I have always regarded them as qualified by the detail of powers connected with them. To take them in a literal and unlimited sense would be a metamorphosis of the Constitution to a character which there is a host of proofs was not contemplated by its creators. Okay, now now who actually said that? James Madison. Who who was the main author of the Constitution? <laughs> exactly. Hmm. You know, he, general welfare basically means you know from what I'm understanding, if I'm understanding what he's saying correctly, general welfare just simply means you know just looking out for our best interest, not sticking your nose into every little pocket of our lives and saying, well, we have to look out for your welfare. Mm-hmm. Not welfare, general. You know, right. general, general, yeah, exactly. And see, so, see, I understand that, is that 
legislation they passed is supposed to be for the common good of everybody as opposed exactly. to as opposed to lobbyists and special interests and the people that they normally approve these laws for that that was exactly. not the intention to just to have a few well-heeled people in fact that kind of corruption i guess has been in our government for a long long period of time not too long <laughs> after we got started and that's why they wanted such a weak federal government is because it's almost impossible in a place like washington to keep those people out and all you can do is just take away the power. Uh, contain them. You, yeah, yeah you got to take away the power and limit uh, their their ability to grow over us. Uh, something if uh, you two might want to make a note of for your future work. Uh, I mentioned Tennessee here because we broadcast uh, out of our station here in uh, downtown Nashville, and it goes over most of the state. Uh, we have a representative that's been on our show who really leads the charge and has been very, very eloquent on these issues like you cover. Her name is Susan Lynn. And I don't know if you're familiar with her. Uh, she's been a representative in the Tennessee state, and most of these laws have actually been originated by her. And in fact, oh, wow. one of the laws that uh, uh, legislation she started was that uh, it limited the capability for at least what they had jurisdiction over, the state uh, National Guard, to confiscate firearms during an emergency, uh, like they ha- like happened during Katrina. Uh, mm-hmm. where they, they actually forbid the National Guard from being able to come in and confiscate firearms. So we have people that get it. I know there was a lot of Missouri people uh, in this production, a lot of legislators from Missouri, but I'd like for you to add Susan Lynn to your list of people uh, to include in your future productions because she gets it, she understands uh, what you all are trying to do. And if you look her up online, include that for all of our Futurian listeners. If you've not heard her show in our archives, she is very, very eloquent in being able to understand these basic fundamental principles uh, itself. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom, what are the Brinkerhoff memos, Bionic? Now, did she mention those? And I yeah, just she did. Just, over? Yeah, it, it was like... She just mentioned it real quickly, and it was almost off the mic. And I was yeah. like, bring off memos. I should be listening to Future Quake more often, shouldn't I? Uh, I, should be. I shouldn't be washing the dishes while. and doing the show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, got elaborate hand signals when it's time for doctors to come in and <laughs> well, read another Yeah, question. here, shake him, nod him here, bring him up. <laughs> um, let's look that up. Okay. okay. Yeah. Good idea. Um, any other things that, that caught your eye? Uh, I thought it was interesting that, that uh, uh, Mr. Franchi, uh, he mentioned that Camp FEMA was really the parent of uh, Don't Tread on Me. I thought that was mm-hmm. interesting. I, like I, haven't, chapter. I, I hadn't really made that. Yeah. It's, it's been a while since I watched them together. But What do you think about my idea about the legislation of food that's grown within state should not be subject to federal that's regulation? That's certainly very interesting. Consumed. I mean, I think people should really go out and just support CSAs, uh, which are... Yeah. Which Confederate are, States of America? Yeah, no. Okay. Uh, it's a local. It's a. It's an association where local growers. You're allowed to buy stuff from your local growers. You give them money each week, okay. and they give you like two dozen eggs or meat or veggies okay. or whatever you whatever you do. Yeah. And it's local farmers that do it. Well, we need to give our listeners more who can tell you how to contact us at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week 
during the radio broadcast. We gotta go. All right, let's get out of here. Come back for the next section of this interview, and we'll be back tomorrow. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I'm Tom, uh, in love with the sanctity of his blood, Bionic. What's that have to do with anything? Uh, that's a book that was mentioned last segment. Sanctity of the Blood? Yeah. Where was I? Ladies and gentlemen, this is the place to be, though. Um, we are having an oh, inspired yeah. interview with Gary Franchi and Debbie Lewis, the producers of the new documentary, Don't Tread on Me. Uh, these were the folks who came to visit us with the Camp FEMA documentary that was very, very popular not too long ago. This was their next installment, and we're talking about the growing movement to restore constitutional federal government. We don't have much time, so we got to go. Here they are, and we'll be back to wrap it up here at Future Quake. How is the taxation institution, the the ability to to tax us from the federal government, been a means for the for the federal government to expand their power, and even seduce the states with kickbacks with strings attached? How is the taxation institution but a means for the federal government to expand their power? Well, and even the know, states, their power over the states. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I think, well, taxation is has always been uh, used throughout history as a, as a means to you know, extract the wealth of the people, for one, uh, and they take that tax money then and they apply it to whatever budget they see fitted in. In most cases, like the income tax, for example, just happens to go back to pay the, um, the debt that is owed on the Federal Reserve notes that are printed and then loaned back to the government, according to the Grace Commission during the Reagan administration. But the uh, kickbacks, how do they seduce the states with kickbacks? Well, for I mean, the highway, you know, highway funds. You know, if you don't have your... Uh, your, your drinking age at 21, then we are going to uh, withhold highway funds. You know, th- that's another way that the federal government will uh, basically bribe you, blackmail you, uh, and just tangle that carrot. You know, because they know that the states cannot produce the, the, the type of money that the federal government can. We all know that the, the federal government, through the Federal Reserve System, uh, as clearly demonstrated through the bailouts, can print money at their leisure. Okay, the states do not have that luxury. And on a side note, in the film "Don't Try It on Me," we we actually discuss how the states can develop their own economy based on silver and gold. But uh, because of that 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 problem, the Federal Reserve problem, the states don't have the income stream or the ability to create income. At their leisure, so they rely on the federal government. And if they don't toe the line, then they're not going to get kickbacks or the bribes. If they don't follow the, the overall federal laws or the federal mandates or whatever it may be. I've often wondered what would happen is if if they, you know, you you mentioned the 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 drinking age. If they lowered the drinking age to like 18 and just taxed the alcohol, would the state, you know, the the state doing that? Yeah, I wonder how much income that would generate. Would it be enough to to pay for the roads in the state? No, that's a good question. That's a good question. I don't, you know, I don't know. Hmm. But, but basically, I do, I do have another. 
Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say basically what they do is they extort the states to comply mm-hmm. with the general worldview of the lobbyists and the limited people that control Washington to make sure that they all comply in mindset from one diverse state to the other end of the country by this purse strings where they, they take the money, they suck the money out of the state, and then they won't release it back until they do it exactly the way Washington would like them to do their state business. Exactly, and, and and on a on a similar note, in, in something else that the federal government does, uh, as far as public schools go, and many people may not know this, I know that in Texas and Louisiana, both uh, Texas and Louisiana, te- Texas and Missouri both, you can opt out of the vaccinations, you know, if you so choose to do that, hmm. but they don't tell you that. You yeah, you can you find out by reading it online, right. Yeah. They tell you that it's mandatory, and the reason they tell you that it's mandatory and they don't give you the option is because they don't, you, you get, each of the schools gets a certain percentage per student that's vaccinated. I read in the Sanctity of Human Blood, I believe, that it's $100 per student <laughs> that they get, the federal government gives the schools, if the you know, per, per student that's vaccinated. And I know my sister-in-law had an argument in the school where my grand, my niece was going. And if you tell the nurse, you know, I don't believe in vaccines, and I have the, the, the opportunity to turn down, I can say no per Missouri law. She, and, and the nurse didn't even know that that was a, an ability that she had. And she says, you know, I'm not really big on the vaccines myself, but we have to require them. And my sister-in-law said, no, you don't. You need to read the law. Right. And they ended up talking to the principal, and the principal said, no, we require vaccines. But she still got to opt out of it because it is Missouri law, you know. Hmm. But it's buyer but, beware. But people Every, can't opt yeah. out. Exactly. People yeah. can't opt out if they don't know they can't. That's right. And, and shame, mm-hmm. you know, these people are supposed to be serving the public interest in these offices, and when they withhold that kind of information, that is not serving the public interest. You know, it's is that it, looking after our general welfare, by the way? Well, it's, it's almost like police not reading Miranda rights. Like, do you mm-hmm. know you're aware that you don't have to implicate yourself right now? You know, as, you're, as yeah. we're assaulting you and throwing you on the ground. Um, you know, that, that, that vaccine is an assault. And, uh, you know, I could say clearly I would not want it for, for religious purposes because the Bible says, you know, don't offer your uh, children up to the fire or Moloch. And some of those vaccines, I think, do the same thing. So, I, I you know, I would have the, the same issues uh, uh, with that. Um, what are the new techniques that are now being considered in state legislators to collect federal taxes themselves, uh, you know, by the state collecting the taxes and then holding them in escrow, uh, and, and what are the benefits of them using that approach? You want to take that one, Gary? Say, say, say that again? Uh, you talk about it in your documentary. H- have, have you seen Don't Tread on Me? <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful work. You, 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 you talk about the tax escrow account. Yeah, right, I, I'm, just, escrow. I'm just messing with you, Gary. There's this great uh, brunette guy in there with the beard. He, you ought to see him. He's fantastic. Uh, no, the, no the, the action of the state to actually collect the federal taxes themselves and to hold that in escrow, as I understood it, maybe have a primitive understanding of it. Well, what, what, you're, what you're distressing is uh, 
couple pieces of legislation, one one of which um, I believe has now been introduced by Charles Keene, the Oklahoma legislator, legislature, and then another one uh, by the gentleman in the Missouri uh, Campaign for Liberty. I'm not sure, um, maybe Debbie could tell, uh, follow up on that. But basically, the, the, the Charles Key has introduced legislation that would, in essence, remove the the power of the IRS to reach into our pockets every payday and withhold our money. Wow! And instead of the instead of the IRS doing it, the state would do it, and the people would then give their federal income tax to the state, and the state would set it up set it up into an account and transfer the funds to the IRS when they're supposed to, April 15th, perhaps. And they would only transmit those funds if the federal government is towing the line, if the federal government is not uh, creating bad legislation or acting, uh, you know, acting like a draconian police state. Then they would transfer the funds. I think it's a great idea. Could they actually, right. could they actually retain the amount of money that's supposed to be sent back, like you were talking about being withheld for schools and things like this, could they keep that uh, already in hand and then send the remainder of it to the federal government? Well, I think the, the, the version that the gentleman from the Campaign for Liberty in Missouri, the version of his bill... He's in Kansas. You're talking about Kansas. He's in Kansas here, yes. Yes, that's correct. He would, <laughs> that version would go ahead and allow for the... The, man, the, the, the federal quote unquote mandates um, be funded by that account. Mm hmm. Uh, well, the reason why I, I'm sorry, Debbie? No, I was just going to say basically what they want to do is they want to hold those funds. If the federal government is acting outside of the Constitution, they're going to keep the funds in the state to pay for the mandated laws. I mean, the laws mandated by the federal government when the states don't have the money. Right. Right. Well, and, 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 you know, the common law basically was it possession is nine-tenths of the law. So if you've got that money in your coffers uh, and you're doing what you know is right and the federal government doesn't like it for some purpose, you know, basically you can say come and take it. And if they're going to send federal troops down to raid your uh, state, uh, state uh, legislature house, you know, to go get it, I'm sure that will go over about as well as uh, what happened overseas. You know, as far as the PR thing, you know, with the boat, you know. Um, oh, sometimes yeah. you can win the battle and lose the war. And uh, I think our federal government knows that would not look very good, particularly for politicians, uh, to have to go back and send federal troops to try to confiscate that money back out of a state, you know, on the premises yeah. there. So I know that, that, that really fears them because it, it allows people's mindsets to st start suddenly realizing that our assets really truly are our own, mm -hmm. or at a minimum our state, and that the federal government doesn't own all of it and just bequeath it to us and allow us to use it for a while before we return it. You know, we, we live under an era of public, of uh, eminent domain and things where we're used to thinking the state really owns everything, even the property we paid for, and can take it back at any time. And that mindset just pervades all of our psyches. So I, I know they don't want to disturb that, you know, at all. And, and that's probably why they put you all on these uh, hate lists, because uh, they, they hate to see the impact that you all have on the uh, hmm. vision of the American public. You know, it's interesting to see, uh, you know, Andrew Napolitano, Judge Andrew Napolitano made mention that if we really wanted to, all we'd have to do is just vote the IRS out of existence. And it's great to see people yeah. here sort of doing 
Not quite yeah. that, but pretty close. Did he mention that on our show? Uh, he did. Yeah, you know, he's been on our show twice and uh, has had quite a, an impact on our Futurian listeners here as well as Alex Jones. Okay. Uh, you mentioned, oh. I'm sorry? Well, I was going to say that Oklahoma and Kansas are not the only ones considering that legislation. You've got Georgia and Washington both considering similar legislation to that federal tax escrow account. And, it's, you know, I, I think that it will continue to grow if more states are seriously looking at it. Right. You're going to have a lot more states realizing, you know what, we have that power too. Well, let's take that power too. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, and it'll feed on itself. And exactly. uh, now, uh, Gary mentioned earlier, as an aside, the uh, and maybe you too, Debbie, the electronic gold system is sort of a uh, a system that could build maybe at the state level and then grow from there, a means by which we could try to get some kind of hard asset or equivalent back to our to our currency to stabilize it. Can you explain what an electronic gold system is and how it would work and what's a, what's a practical scale to, to try it out? Uh, basically, what what was proposed in the film, uh, and I, I don't want to give it all away because we do want you to watch the movie. <laughs> uh, it was it was uh, proposed by uh, Dr. Edward Vieira, who wrote Constitutional Homeland Security. Uh, he also wrote a book called Pieces of Eight, and it's it's a piece of legislation that, when introduced at the state level, would by law force the the uh, state treasury to hold a percentage uh, of their uh, of their funds, of their money, in hard asset of either silver or gold. Uh, that could also be used in, in electronic format. So perhaps the state of Tennessee would have uh, an e-gold account of some sort, and uh, they would have their money there. Now, the contractors, people that specifically contract with the state of Tennessee, uh, whether it's the people that make the asphalt or, or the road signs or, or whatever it may be. Uh, when they are done with their job, they can go to the state and say, okay, time to pay me. And the state says, well, would you like your money on a reserve note, or would you like it in silver or gold? And what Vieira proposes through this bill is that just by natural demand, most of those contractors would request to have their payouts being silver and gold, thus creating a loop. All of a sudden, the treasury says back to the to the to the house and says, "Hey, look, we got we're out. We we don't have any ten percent of holdings of gold and silver are gone. Uh, we need to increase the gold base. We need to increase the silver base in, this, in our in our treasury." So they go ahead and say, "Well, maybe twenty five percent needs to be," and then. Of course, that gets depleted, and now all of a sudden you've created this this loop, this economic loop. People being paid, and, and there's a, there's a flow of go, of gold and silver at that level. And suddenly, that because you have contractors who are now uh, finding themselves in possession of gold and silver, they can they now have a mechanism to perhaps allow for silver or gold to be used uh, at the uh, at the retail level. So suddenly. Just by introducing the bill for uh, for state level contracts, it has the potential to grow just through the natural free market enterprise system uh, down to the retail level. Hey, I, think let, let, I think it's a brilliant plan. Gary, let me make sure I understood this. Um, would, would the state, would a state, have to have the exact quantity and value of gold in their personal possession 
equal to the amount of currency that they release dollar for dollar. We're not talking about any fractional no, no, reserve. No, 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 this is not. This is this is actual hard metal. Um, uh, this is hard metal. This is this is not paper. It's you know you do a job for me and you're going to give me ten ounces of gold for that job. Okay. We're not talking about you know Federal Reserve paper. But it's still monitored electronically. Like, is it like a central repository that stores it for safety? Well, I mean, that the, you have a the, the exact mechanism of transmission yeah. for the gold. Uh, it, it, you know, that's that's a real finite part of the bill. I mean, you have we have to sit down and say, well, what is the most economical means to transmit? You know, ten, twenty, thirty ounces of gold. I mean, it's it's just not something you want to yeah. carry around with you. That's why the electronic gold system or the e-silver systems are good because that gold then sits in a secure um, audited vault and through transmission of electronic data on, on spreadsheets and accounting sheets, that money can be moved. Well, what about the fact of state bonds? If the state raises money through bonds and makes payment of those in gold, wouldn't that be another way for people in the state as investors to invest in that money as well, too, if it's done within the state? You're saying if the state was to sell gold bonds? Right. And, uh, and you know, redeemable for gold. So, in, you know, re regular citizens of that state could invest and, and be, be, be able to have that. Uh, you know, what would happen is you would have people of great wealth that would flock to that state, and you would become like Switzerland. I mean, you would have incredible investment. You would have all of this money that would suddenly now be embedded in your state because even if the federal government defaulted on their incredible debt, that state would still maintain the solvency, as I understand it. Because, yes. because uh, yes. Well, I was just going to say, I think that that was uh, Dr. Vieira's point. And, and also that, you know, eventually... You know, the popularity of being paid in gold, like something real and tangible, uh, gold or silver would be, you know, very, it, it would draw people in, and eventually the entire state's monetary system would go to gold and silver, and Federal Reserve notes are now like euros, you know, foreign currency. So. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, um, it, does it look like there are some states that are really seriously considering making a stab at this? There are six states, Massachusetts, I believe it was, um, that he wrote, or New Hampshire is where he wrote the legislation for that. And it failed in New Hampshire, but there are six other states, uh, World Net Daily reports, that there are six other states considering that type of monetary flow, considering to do something similar to what he proposed. Okay. Uh, and... I guess it would behoove our listeners because our listeners are spread all over the all over the world and all over the country. Uh, if your if your state is uh, contemplating this, a letter might be very timely to say that you'd like to up your investment in your state if they make this available, uh, or if you would be even interested in uh, making an investment, you know, in some kind of adjoining state, or even having a residence if that was required or whatever to be able to participate in that. Um, this would be the time you want to let those legislators know that it could be a financial bonanza, uh, you know, for their state if they're willing to adopt something like this. Um, moving on our discussion here, um, is there a is there a right actually 
in within our founding documents uh, that are now operative, is there a right to, to dissolve an existing federal government, uh, like such as within the Declaration of Independence itself? Uh, and how does that relate to the duty of the citizens regarding that issue? Um, absolutely. Go ahead, Go ahead Gary. So the de- declaration clearly states that whenever any form of government becomes destructive to the to its own end, it is the right of the people to alter and to abolish that particular government and to institute a new government to protect the people's pursuits, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Absolutely. And it is our right and our duty to overthrow such government and, and to, in, you know, install the new government that will protect our life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. So, so if that right is already present in our founding documents, and in fact it's a, I think it's a duty, as it's described, mm-hmm. to do that, then how could anyone be held for treason or sedition uh, if they claim that is their justification for what they're doing? Well, you know, that's a good question. I, I, I don't know. You know I, had this, I had this discussion with my father, if you don't mind me talking about that a little bit. Um, my dad is uh, pretty conservative, but in his way, of the way he was brought up, you know, you have to respect the president. And I was questioning several things that Obama has done. And my dad looked at me and he said, uh, David, you can't do that. I said, what do you mean I can't do that? He said, you can't say that. He said, "He said that's treason. You cannot do that. I said, Dad, the declaration clearly tells me that I can, that it's my duty to call into question what, you know, what is going on. Now, it, it says clearly that, you know, when... Pursuing, but when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object and this is a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is our right and our duty to overthrow such a government and to provide new guards for our future security. That's in the Declaration, Dad. It says it in our founding document. And he had to t- he had to step back, and, and he was still a little upset with me at the time. But later he told me, you know, later he said, "You're right. It, it absolutely is." He said, "You know, I guess that's what we do have to do." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Gary, you have any thoughts on this topic? Uh, I second it. <laughs> I second it. That's, I mean, that's that's what the that's what the Declaration of Independence says. You, you can't argue with that. In fact, when I when, during, during the interview when I was in Virginia and I was talking to Edwin Vieira, I said I said, Doctor Vieira, tell me, you know, the the Bill of Rights specifically enumerates uh, these rights are handed down from our Creator, and you know, it, it's very clear, point by point. First Amendment, Second Amendment, Third Amendment. Okay. Now, it says here in the Declaration of Independence that we have the that we have the right and the responsibility to throw off tyranny. Now, it's not enumerated in the Constitution in the Bill of Rights. So, is it still a right? Is it still something that we can stand on as as law because it's written in the Declaration and, and not the Constitution? Right. And. Uh, he, he said, well, actually, Gary, he said, 
the Declaration of Independence, I, I should say the Constitution owes its existence to the Declaration of Independence. And the Declaration of Independence was not, in fact, uh, law itself, then we wouldn't we wouldn't have a nation to begin with. So yes, he says it is. It is our right. It is a responsibility. Well, so, I, I guess the way I'm thinking this this gets to be a little challenging to grasp, but. The, the the Constitution as a document and the framework it provides is really just a working framework for the government talked about in the uh, Declaration of Independence. In other words, it is a version that came together to execute the the vision of the Declaration of Independence in a functional form. It certainly wasn't the first one that came up with it, the Articles of Confederation. Uh, and, and I guess in, in a way you can see they had a means of dissolving it and generating the Constitution. Uh, and so it seems like to me really the Constitution is a working document that they understood to entail those principles and to achieve the principles of the Declaration of Independence. But, but what really uh, gets me thinking is as a Christian, because this is a Christian radio program to a Christian audience, and we often talk about Romans chapter 13 and what are the duties of Christians to authorities. And we, we often understand what our duties and responsibilities are to our government. But it sounds like one of our duties is to be brave enough to take action to reestablish government when the other one doesn't serve the public interest. That Those are one of the duties that, that, that we are assigned to do and that we have an obligation to do. Absolutely. So, so ambivalence is really not an option in our country. And in fact, I guess in a representative democracy or republic, complacency is really uh, not something that is going to be uh, uh, it's going to behoove us to have a active functioning system. If you're under a king or a tyrant or under communism, you can be somewhat complacent because they're calling all the shots anyway. But we don't have that luxury, do we, in the kind of government that we have? Absolutely not. And, and one of my favorite um, quotes, if you will, out of uh, Dr. Vieira's mouth <laughs> was that uh, our government is not a it's it's not a spectator sport. Right. No, our form of government is not a spectator sport. We have to get up off our couch and get involved because we, the people, authorize this. We, the people, are the ones that give the government power. So we have to get up and get involved. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom, I wish I could have discussions like that with my dad, Bionic. Well, maybe that will come. Someday, like maybe that 50 years from now. Yeah. Um, these are the kind of discussions we all need to start having with uh, our friends. With people, everybody who will listen. People at church or Stop family members. Cars in the road. Work this stuff out in your own mind. You may not come to the same conclusions, either Tom or I do, mm-hmm. but that's okay. The thinking about it is an important thing, and somebody else can get you to think as Mervyn can tell you how to contact us at FutureQuake. FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. 
Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we got to go. Let's get out of here. Come back tomorrow for the third installment with our friends from Don't Tread on Me. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye-bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. Quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I'm Tom, dot, 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 question mark, dot, 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 bionic. Boy, this has been a lot of punctuation middle names this week. Um, I think was one of them. Or it's onomatopoeia. Bionic. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we are back here today for our third installment of our interview this week with Gary Franchi and Debbie Lewis, who are the producers of Don't Tread on Me, a new documentary out. These are the folks who produce Camp FEMA. And uh, we are talking about the growing movement to restore constitutional federal government. And uh, these people have the distinction of being placed on a, a hate list by the Southern Poverty Law Center along with some other cool. distinguished and beloved Americans. So Cool for them. They have raised it to another level. That's when you know, know. you've arrived. Yeah, a high five to, to yeah. Gary and, and William. Yeah, and, and we're still living that adage of hanging low because enemies low on ammo. Yeah. Well, they don't mention us, but maybe one day. But here's our third installment again with Gary Franchi and Debbie Lewis. We'll be back to wrap it up here at Future Quake. It was described in the documentary that government is like a force. Uh, why is it described that way? And why also, is it was mentioned that the state of liberty is almost sort of socially unnatural for our species. Mm. What, what you're referring to is... Uh, the quote that Michael Benarek stated, uh, and that, that quote itself was uh, actually, he was quoting George Washington. He says, government is not, uh, I forget the, the full quote, but he says, government is force, you know. And um, that, I mean, that's what it is. It's govern, you know, the, the root word is you are governing the people. And that's that's what it is. Uh, but but as far as it being socially unnatural, um, if you look at our just our pure animal instincts, it's usually every person for themselves. Uh, it's usually mob rule, you know, or pack rule, you know, you know, pack animals. The the injured, those who are not as strong, get left behind, or even get consumed. Um, the strongest rise to the top and lord it over the rest of the group, whether it's animals or even you see, uh, you know, in cultures with human beings, where where tyranny just sort of naturally falls into place for whatever reason or another. Did I understand right that the fact of a free and independent people living in a way of mutual respect doesn't just naturally happen? It is something that we have to use our God-given intellect, our empathy. Um, our, our um, desire for the best wishes of other people have to be fully in play for something like this to function? Well, I think, I think that's a good way to look at that because it's not, I mean, if, if well, if, if our values given to us by God don't come into play, then we're going to run all over each other. You know, nobody's mm-hmm. going to be at liberty because the person with the biggest gun or the person with the more muscles or the person that can walk all over you is going to take charge. You know, the way the Constitution was written, it was written, you know, in such a way that it protects everybody's right. 
even even the smallest people, the you know the big people, people with the biggest guns, people with the littlest guns. You know, it, it was it was written to protect everybody, and and so you know I would have to agree with what you're saying that mm-hmm. that's probably the way it should be. Gary, do you have any thoughts on that? Um. <laughs> Most honest thing said all day today, folks. Uh, but the, uh, the, the, you know, the, the idea is is that um, it even goes against our carnal nature that things naturally, like gravity, just go toward uh, some kind of tyrannical structure, and usually ambivalence is usually the first step in that direction, and so it requires an active force, one generation after another to actually take their personal responsibilities, not only in looking after their own rights, but looking after the rights of those less fortunate and that don't have a voice. And that if those Correct. people don't rise up in every generation, you think about the the slavery issue and civil rights and other kind of things like that. Uh, well, were, the, the problem comes in is when government thinks they have to do that. Well, they will fill a void. And then they legislate it. And then, you know, then there's, they're trying to speak for... Know, the less fortunate, and then you have a welfare state, and then the people become dependent, and then you know the, the right and become serfs. Well, they, know, yeah, that, they, that's a big problem. They will fill a void that's created when people of goodwill in society uh, do not address an issue, whether it's a social issue of poverty or or other kind of needs in our society. When they don't step up and address it at the community level, then the government will come in and fill the void. And I, oh. I, again, I think that's happened many, many times. Is that due to just ambivalence? Uh, we've let them become the nanny over society. It, it, it absolutely has, and, and this is where the Ninth Amendment actually comes into play because the Ninth Amendment just clearly tells us that you know if it's not enumerated in the Constitution, then the federal government can't decide if one's going to take that right. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the Constitution was clear about the powers of Congress. There are 18 powers of Congress listed in the Constitution. And not one of those powers is to give health care to everybody in the United States of America. Mm-hmm. Not one of those powers is you can um, tell somebody from Montana that they can't, they can't have a firearm that's built in Montana. <laughs> not one of those, you know, you, I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing mm-hmm. that they've taken so much latitude with their decision making, and, and you know, this is where this is where don't on me in the Ninth and Tenth Amendment come in. Is that the powers that are not delegated to the United States by the Constitution stay with the states or stay with the individuals? They don't. You know, the, the, the federal government can't can't say, "Well, that law's not written, so I'm going to write it for ourselves." Mm-hmm. They they didn't want that, and the founding fathers, in fact, you know, if if you do any any research on the Bill of Rights itself, you find out that the the founding fathers didn't really want to write a Bill of Rights because if you start enumerating some powers, right, then the federal government will decide. Oh, I, I can get some more if I want to. They wanted it clear that these eighteen powers you know, given to Congress is all that Congress needs to be powerful with. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is all they need to have power over, this right here. They don't get any more power than this. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you, nowhere in that list is health care. Nowhere in that list is, 
is that carbon tax keep your firearms <laughs> away from you. Mm-hmm. You know. You know, it it goes back, if people, I always tell people when they say, oh, I'm disturbed about all these things in our country and everything that's going on, and I say, you want to see what the problem is? Go look in a mirror, because it all falls (laughs) back in the lap of every one of us. You have the power, when you go into the ballot box, to ask for those candidates that will have an understanding of what we're talking about today, that their powers are very limited, they're specifically enumerated, and the rest of it they keep their hands off. And if they will not swear to that, then they do not deserve your vote, whether they're your favorite party or not. uh, You can always write in somebody that has it and make a statement to them. Um, so, So you have the power right there. What we tolerate is probably the greatest evil in society. Uh, You know, there was a lot of hay made over Bill Clinton and the fact of his indiscretions in the White House. But then you found there was a large part of the population that really didn't say much about that. And that's because there's a lot of those kind of indiscretions that go on in our own society on a personal level. And so sometimes these politicians just become a mirror of ourselves. And we have to go fix our own personal problems of what kind of of world would we create if everybody did it the way we did it. And if we get that fixed, then we can and then pick up our own personal responsibilities at the ballot box, letting our voice be heard. And back to this, we mentioned the R word earlier, uh, rebellion, which should get us on the echelon list for uh, for listening uh, just by mentioning that word here. But regarding the concept of rebellion, can it actually be conducted practically in a nonviolent way? And if so, how? My, my friend, Ernest Hancock, who runs uh, Freedom's Phoenix out of Arizona, says something to me that's really stuck with me for, for a long time. And that is, the revolution doesn't have to be violent. It can be a revolution between the ears. And what that really means is, you know, winning the hearts and minds of the American people. And because the American people have fallen asleep, it's our responsibility to wake them up. And the revolution that's taking place right now is nonviolent because, you know, we are running people, supporting people, uh, candidates that support our perspectives in the constitutional values that we're espousing. Um, you know, we're putting out these films that are, that are waking up people. Uh, that's nonviolent. You know, we, we just issued a press release today. And in that press release, we're not firing bullets. We're hosting movie screenings. You know, there's over... I think, what was the number? 97 public screenings. That 90, 98, place. I think, yeah. Yeah, 98 now. I mean, the, the list keeps growing. And that, those are just public screenings. There's over like 172 total screenings taking place across the country. And this is in 42 different states right now. So there's a, there is a revolution. It's taking place right now. It is a nonviolent revolution. It is a revolution that is revolving around information. It is a revolution that is revolving around the Constitution. It is a revolution that is revolving around just restoring this, this great country and getting, getting our people back on track and waking them up and just, yes, you can't have a revolution that's nonviolent. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and, you know, I think that's something that needs to be reiterated and people need to understand is knowledge is power. If you don't know what your rights are, how can you defend them? William says that in the film. You know, if you don't know what your rights are, how do you defend them? What do you need to do to find out what your rights are? Well, read the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. Really simple stuff. I mean, you know, there's, you know, there's something 
there's something I sorry Debbie there's something I always say and in fact it's it's on my Facebook page it's, uh, I say free speech is really limited to those who speak it and I think that really that mm. says volumes right there mm-hmm. 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 Do, do you have any examples that you could compare where such revolutions have occurred in a nonviolent fashion uh, I mean in this country or, or any worldwide yeah. Well, I think the civil rights movement is a good example. Um, there's a lot of different movements that take place that you know people are stepping up for things that they find to be important for them. Um, I, I think that many of the when, communist countries that fell. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Uh, with the exception of like the Baltic states, where there was some some limited violence there. For the most oh, are, 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 are you talking, I'm sorry, are you talking about violent revolutions? Well, no, examples of nonviolent, where, where people oh. got it right between their ears. And uh, I, I think for most of the states that were behind the Iron Curtain, yeah. East Germany, people just sort of got fed up and they decided not to serve. You think Poland, I guess, was probably the one leading the way. It started with a labor union that decided not to be told what to do anymore. And um, I'm sure tensions were pretty high at that point. But they started to understand an ideal, and, and then it grew from there, and then it grew to other states, and then everybody sort of looked at each other one day and said, why are we continuing this? It was like a switch that just went off in about a, a couple of weeks' time, it seemed like. Uh, you know, that, that's just an example I can think of where, where such a revolution occurred in a basically nonviolent way over even a, a very tyrannical institution. Where, where not long before that, people would have been afraid to be drug off to the gulag had they said anything. Right. Hmm. So, so there, there well, is, there is precedent again for this. And, and I think too, when you mention that, and you, and you mention the people getting involved, like the people getting involved in the United States, for instance, to take back the country from the federal government, grabbing everything they can grab. You know, if, if the people aren't willing to stand up for it. Well, the government's not going to give it back. You know, they want it. They're, they're not going to give it back. If you want your rights, you have to stand up and say, you know what, this is my right inherent to me at birth, and you will not take it. Mm-hmm. You have to assert you know, them. It, yeah, you have to assert those it, rights. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, this, this is a little bit off topic, but you think about what's required, and I've sort of alluded to that in this talk. It requires an engaged populace. Um, mm-hmm. The enemies aren't necessarily totally these crooked politicians and globalists that are trying to create a global new world order. We know they're there. We know they never sleep doing their thing. The real enemy is the DVD or the CD of entertainment we have in our living room that is in the sofa that is much more comfortable and easy going to just plop it down and watch some mindless entertainment on there or the TV rather than getting up and doing some reading on this, talking with your neighbors, go down to a meeting, maybe a, a little protest or rally downtown, writing letters to your newspaper, your editors, your congressmen. Uh, that seems to me to be the biggest uh, allies of tyranny we have right now is the, the comfort, the creature comforts that we have and the idle entertainment and I, I probably speak for everyone else here that you can turn on the TV with several hundred channels and really realize that there's nothing to watch. There's nothing to watch on TV. So I could speak confidently and tell our listeners they're not missing anything. If they want to step away from the entertainment 
and start getting involved in the kind of things you all are talking about. Yeah, um, and, even, and even if they think they're going to miss something, they can just put it on TiVo and they can watch it after the protest. <laughs> yeah, but but I tell you what what you'll find is when you get invigorated yourself, rather than just watching news and start making news, when you do that, your life will never be the same. And for those of you exactly. who have children, you need to go take your children downtown to some of these things or wherever they may go. Let them watch you be a leader in your family. Uh, watch them see you stand up for principle. And stand up to look out not only for yourself and your family, but for your neighbors in your community. And it will transform your family life if you see this Absolutely. kind of activity going on. And it's a personal thing. And really, the short-term success and outcome is not the point. It is the transformation it does to you. You immediately see a change that will go on. And William Grigg, who comes on our show occasionally... I uh, mentioned this once on our show from an article of his. It sort of boils down to the fact if you're driving down the road, you see a, a man in uniform beating a, a guy on the side of the road. What is your first thought? Is your first thought, well, he must have just deserved it, you know. That's that's the system getting back at somebody stepping on the line. Or is your thought, wait a minute, what right does this man have to do this to this other man? What's going on with this? And you start thinking about rights, and particularly the rights of those who are the downtrodden, and it will change your view of everything that goes on in your community and in your world. And, and sadly, I think in the in a lot of the evangelical Christian world, this is a kind of thinking that we've lost and that we need to restore. And uh, work like yours, which actually encourages an activist role in something that's at stake for all of us, is a thinking and a direction back in that back in that direction. Um, you know, there was a mention by Alex Jones in your documentary uh, about. The fact that our, our federal officials uh, do not criticize foreign dictators or even people they catch torturing people much anymore. What, why do you hear them not criticize so soundly some of these dictatorial regimes overseas? Because unfortunately, we're doing that same thing. We're torturing people, and, and we're, you know, our federal government has become all but a dictatorship. Just take the health care legislation, for instance. Nobody wanted that. You know, the biggest town hall meetings in the United States happened over health care legislation. And by the way, if you didn't read, they're not having town hall meetings this summer because they don't want to face the same kind of um, retribution and anger that they faced last year over the health care legislation. And yet our government still pushed that legislation through. That's a dictatorship. That's not, you know, looking out for the better interests of we the people. We tortured, I mean, waterboarded people. They admitted that. I mean, have you ever have you ever thought about waterboarding? You know, making somebody think they're drowning. <laughs> that 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 is probably so. You know, our government can't really say anything because they do the same things. Uh, been forced to take hallucinogens and other kind of things that mm -hmm. send people into a nightmarish world. Mm -hmm. um, we've had testimonies of people like uh, Lawrence Wilkerson, who was the chief of staff to Colin Powell on our show, as well as Judge Napolitano. And they have said from being involved and engaged in the activities at Guantanamo Bay that it was a veritable chamber of horrors of what was going on, uh, particularly in the early years, and it hasn't stopped. We still, we still have people, as I understand it, maybe a handful of what we would consider actual terrorists at Guantanamo, uh, the rest of them being including young people, elderly people, others who were shopkeepers and people in the wrong place at the wrong time. It really hurts our negotiating position when we're at war with people 
and we find out they're t- they're torturing people when sure. we're doing the same thing ourselves. Extraordinary rendition and and exactly. and we've already come up with the euphemisms for it and enhanced interrogation <laughs> know, and things like that. Um, really you know, sad. Ho Chi Minh probably smiled when he heard that. You know, in the Hanoi Hilton, thought, thought "Wish I could have used that kind of word." You know, for what we were doing. Gosh, they got one uh, over on me. And yeah. and you know, renditions and places like this. So so that's why they don't toot this so much is because our government has just become just like other world governments in uh, having these kind of activities. Uh, Militias. They're they're mentioned somewhat in your in your documentary a good bit. How does the existence of militias relate to our security, as stated in the Constitution, and how are they distinguished from the National Guard? Well, the the, the militia is what freed this country from from Great Britain. Uh, it wasn't just the, the regulars; as they were also uh, as the, the federal um, what we now know as the federal government, the federal military. Um, it was the state militias that organized and fought in the Revolutionary War. And what the Constitution says is that it is, the, uh, to, it is necessary for the security of the free state. The militias are necessary for the security of the free state. So uh, that's it. That, that is homeland security. It's not some you know, monolithic structure bureaucratic organism in Washington, D.C. that is going to protect you, strip search you, uh, you know, with digital eyes at every checkpoint when you try to board a plane or a bus or, or a train. It is the militia that was designed in the Constitution to be our security. Bottom line. Okay. Correct. Uh, and, and our founding fathers felt that way. Our, our founding fathers said that a population that's well-armed is going to protect its state, you know, its country, uh, probably better than they feared a standing army. And it's like the National Guard, which most, gov- most uh, government officials say is the quote-unquote militia. The National Guard was not, uh, um, oh, my goodness. It wasn't in existence, Guard, yeah. Right, it wasn't in existence until over 100 years later. It didn't even come into existence until 100 years later. So the National Guard is not the militia. The, the founding fathers felt that the people needed to, to be armed to protect themselves against a tyrannical government. I mean, Thomas Jefferson said, the strongest reason for the people to retain the right to keep and bear arms is a last resort to protect themselves against tyranny in government. Thomas Jefferson said that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Our founding fathers knew that the militia the populace of the United States would protect the United States from tyranny. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it goes back again to this whole decentralization of power, whether it's mm-hmm. legislative power, taxing power, or even uh, use of force, that you decentralize it, you spread it out amongst even individuals in society, and that keeps tyrants from standing up. And exactly. taking the reins out of you know very limited pinch points, securing those pinch points, and then using that as a leash over the rest of the nation. If you've decentralized power to the lowest level, including even the firearms that are available, uh, it's very very hard to win over that many people with individual firearms, yeah. rather than having one person that controls the entire armory. Uh, all you have to exactly. look at is is the armory key holder. Then, at that case, if if the the weapons are out there and dispersed. Uh, it, it's a little different scenario. You know, uh, I, I think of a place like the Old West, you know, 
where people came in with their guns. Um, there was a random violent event now and then. It was exaggerated by our, our biographers and book writers of the Old West. But for the large part, they were great peacemakers. And that taking an area where you didn't have strong draconian laws and it kept a peace amongst the people. Um, you know, you even see something like the Cold War that occurred with the uh, with the ballistic vessels on all sides. It, that decentralizing feature of those weapons had sort of a strange effect on the peace. They topped uh, with a Colt 45. <laughs> rather than rather than having one single source, you know, over everyone itself. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a general principle that's there. And again, it comes back to obligation. Am I w- willing to fulfill my obligation, not for my own personal family's self-interest, although I want to protect them, but also for my community? Uh, do I right. owe a duty to the other people in my nation? Uh, you know, the other interesting thing about a militia is that a militia will, will go at the behest of the well-being of the people in their community, in their region, in their state. They're not going to be sent by somebody in Washington, D.C., like what happened in Vietnam, where someone had, or you know, whatever these wars that have a certain agenda, and someone you never know or met, someone who's far away from where you are in your life, is going to send you over to a foreign land to fight. Uh, th- well, the- even think think about that. I mean, would we want foreign country coming here and telling us how to run our business? We wouldn't. Mm-hmm. So, right. so why are we sending them over there? Right, and but we're we you know we're not going because we feel an immediate threat to the people in our community. We're going mm-hmm. because somebody we don't know is sending us to go attack somebody else we don't know. And you right. know and that's what I read over and over again from the people who were drafted sent over there into the field. Why am I here? Uh, why am I supposed to kill this person? You know who was it that sent me? Why did they want to send me for it? And the the whole concept of a militia changes that dynamic. Uh, it, it brings the, the, the issue, the threat, and the remedy back to a local area where someone can grasp it and understand it, and you're side by side with your neighbor dealing with these issues. And uh, it, would make, it would make sense that the lawmaking and the law enforcement should be done in the same manner, shoulder to shoulder with your neighbor. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom, not quite as worked up as Gary was, but still pretty close. Mm-hmm. Uh, I see you're training Pyro as part of our militia for Future Quake here, mm-hmm. of our regional militia. Yeah. Uh, Merv, has he got an official office or position? Yeah, he's he's announcer. Okay. And we all report to General it's, Mrs. Future. Well, not all of us. You do. <laughs> okay. She's not under That's my true. command. Yeah, I'm under hers. Yeah. But uh, seriously, though, um, these are topics that we have been trained over the generations to think are crazy. Not because they're not in the Constitution and our official documents. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's just because socially, head, yeah, socially, we know. from the New Deal and all the other activities by the federal powers that be in the civil, uh, you know, army. Yeah. Like, it's civil interesting war when you people. start waking up at all this stuff. You start seeing all sorts of weird stuff, like that's a gigantic right. serpent head in uh, the, uh, you know, downtown Nashville yeah. city hall. Well, that's for another day. Yeah. Another weird things, Merv, who could tell you how to contact us a future quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. 
Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we got to go. Speaking of a disembodied head. Yes. <laughs> uh, come back for our last segment tomorrow. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I'm Tom, big Bill of Rights supporter, Bionic. How big Bill of Rights? This big. A really big Bill of Rights. This big. Yeah, you don't want to mess with the big Bill. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, we are coming up on our fourth and final installment of our interview with Gary Franchi and Debbie Lewis, the producers of the new documentary, Don't Tread on Me. They are the producers of the prior one that we've uh, focused here on called Camp FEMA. Turned out to be very, very popular. Uh, got them on some national hate list because of um, their Good effectiveness. Job, guys. Yeah, their Good effectiveness. Job. And uh, this is going to be another big hit too, and we sort of appreciate them coming. Um, let's go right to this interview, and we'll be back to wrap it up here on Future Quake. And one thing that, in, in my research of the Second Amendment, I came across a really great book called The Complete Bill of Rights. And what it ha- contains in it, it contains state debates and state. Um, initiatives at the time and debates and other things and, and you can find out exactly what they mean by some of these you know legislation pieces of legislation in the Bill of Rights just by reading some of this for instance Pennsylvania um, suggested that quote the people have a right to bear arms for the defense of themselves and their own state or the United States and no law shall be passed for disarming the people or any of them unless the crime was committed. Hmm. You know, and, and it goes on like that. I mean, New York has something similar to that that they proposed. North Carolina, Rhode Island, Virginia, all the way down the list. I mean, there's several places where to protect themselves, their state, or the United States, the people have the right to their arms. And that, of course, is part of the, the, the militia, well-regulated militia, composed of the body of the people trained to arms as proper, natural, and safe defense for a free state. That came from North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the people, the right, the people's right to their arms, the people form the militia. The militia protects the state or the United States. Mm-hmm. And there we have, like, like uh, Gary said, that's our homeland security. And, and we're not talking about private mercenary groups. That's not what it's no, trying no, to no, no. for <laughs> no, private. No, no. Blackwater. Yeah, for private interest. Yeah, we already have our federal government fund them. But we, I'm, I'm not talking people like, for example, for your own private agenda or your, you decide yourself. It was meant to be orderly. It was meant to be done by states, by communities, things like this, where where actually there's some legitimacy to it. But it was considered right. really a responsibility. Uh, Absolutely. To, to, to and do. they go on to. Well, I'm sorry. They they do go on to say that if, for some religious reason, you feel that you cannot pick up a gun and shoot somebody to protect the United States, well, then you paid a certain fee every year to yeah. opt out of that. Right, which they could use yeah. to uh, help pull your weight. It seems very reasonable, uh, Correct. you know, to do Not that. Uh, <laughs> now, related to this, related to this whole concept of decentralized protection, law enforcement is the idea of the sheriff. 
Most people have no idea anymore after the Old West of what purpose a sheriff has. Why is that such a big deal, uh, the, the breadth of uh, the power that was intended to be for a sheriff? The sheriff, the, the institution of the position of sheriff. Uh, why is that such a big deal? Because well, the, sh- the sheriff sits over the county, and the county is its own jurisdiction, much like the state is its jurisdiction, and then you have, of course, the, the federal jurisdiction. And all these different jurisdictions play into each other, and the certain jurisdictions have certain powers. And the federal government must abide by, just as the states must abide by, the, the jurisdictional borders. So when the federal government says, well, we have to execute this search warrant or we have to, you know, uh, you know, kick in the door of this person because they didn't pay their income tax, then uh, they, have, they have to check in with the sheriff. And the sheriff, at which point, has the authority to turn them away. Mm-hmm. Sorry, you know, your papers don't add up. You know, this law... You know, he could, if he personally believes the law is the, the law they're trying to enforce is is not um, uh, a real law or, or is, is void. If he believes that, then he can turn them away. That's why it's so powerful. That's how the, the oath keepers and uh, I'm sorry, uh, Sheriff Mack and his group is, is so important to educate the county sheriff on their power that they have to uh, push back on federal encroachment. And, and that's established. Federal. That's established law. That's a legal precedent. That, that's established in the Supreme Court, according yeah. through, through Sheriff Mack's court case that he won. Mm-hmm. Okay. We, we've had some people on our show, guests like Robert Hyde and other people since then, have said, get to know your local sheriff. Become on very good terms where they know you, understand who you are, what you represent. Because, you know, it may be they're the last line of defense when things get tough to protect you and your rights. Uh, and they better know who you are, your kids, your family, what you stand for, what you all have in common. Uh, because, you know, it's funny in the media, the mass media, if you watch the movies, they usually make the local law enforcements to be the idiots that are getting away. And they're just, yeah, they're just trying to protect their own turf or they're getting away of catching the bad guys. And, you know, the only exception to that I can think is a show like Andy Griffith. Where, where the, the feds would come in and mess everything up, and of course he would outsmart them, and he would figure out a way how to solve it locally. And actually the Andy Griffith show, uh, you know, we know it was, it was a, you know, a fantasy show, you know, it's not historical, but it created a, a, an environment much like what I see we're talking about here, where you had decentralized power, you had a sheriff who knew his people, he knew their issues, he didn't use violence as a way to solve things, because he knew them personally, he knew what their, their issues and problems, he knew creative ways how to handle the situation, and they lived peaceably. Uh, you know, we have scenarios now, where we've been on this gun topic, I didn't mean to get into this, but we, we, we look at some of our major cities, inner cities, where we have high crime, high amount of gun crime, and those are used as justification for these drug laws. Is it the presence of the guns themselves that is causing all this problem and hence justification for restricting their availability? No, it's the, the, the the problem is, is, is the corruption of people in general who are pulling the trigger on these guns. If if the guns were taken away, would they find other means by which to inflict violence on other yeah. people? If, if, you know, if you want to kill somebody, you, you, you know, you have a, a, a whole slew of your own two hands. You can choke someone. You know, you don't need to have pull a trigger. 
I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. You well, know, the somebody, funny part is, too, they're going to go into it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, the funny part is, too, you know, when you talk about taking away guns, um, when you take away the guns, the the criminals will still have access to guns. <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, they, they've proven them. that kind of thing yeah. over and over again. Would, would would this be like if uh, if we noticed that most car accidents involve sedans, so we decided we would eliminate sedans from the road and only allow two-door cars on the highway? Uh, I doubt we'd well, see a, a big drop-off in accidents. It may be that that most of your sedans involved in accidents just because more people drive sedans. But the fact of the way people drive and their poor driving habits, I'm assuming will happen whether they're driving a two-door or four-door car. Uh, and, and I would think the same thing happens with the, uh, the weapon of choice to, to exhibit violence on another person. Sure. Uh, getting here towards the, the, the last part of our, sh- our show here, there, there's much more that you talk about, about how states should uh, responsibly handle the secession issue. Uh, what's a way it can be done in a uh, in a constructive manner uh, handling these issues? But what should the listeners do with the information in your documentary once they order it and see all the other additional information that's in there? What, what's the best thing they can do with it to accomplish the objectives that you right intended now, and benefit their families? Right now, we have uh, a, a big push, as I mentioned earlier in your show, uh, June 26th of this year. We are asking everybody who owns a copy of the film or has received a copy of the film to host a screening in their home, in their local library, in their church, in their public school, uh, you know, wherever it may be. We want the American people to see this movie. And uh, right now the push is on. As I said, 42 states, 192 cities have signed up to show this movie. 98 public screenings will be all over the country. I want to see 200 cities. So I'm asking your listeners right now to go to the website, go to donttreadonmemovie.com, get a copy of the DVD, and register for a screening in your home or wherever it may be. Because we want people to see this movie. We want you to invite your friends. We want them to get empowered to learn what it is that's going to take this country back, the state sovereignty movement, uh, you know, the truth about the, the, ten, the, the Tenth Amendment and, and the Ninth Amendment and the Second Amendment and the Bill of Rights, and just, it's, it's, oh, it's just so important. It is so important. And that's what we want people to do right now. I'm, I'm asking your listeners, June 26th, join us in this national effort. This is purely grassroots. It's, it's only the people that are doing this. This is not some big Hollywood corporation uh, that's, you know, renting movie houses. This, this is the people in action. Join us. Now, once they've seen this information and they, they've digested it, what do you hope will be accomplished once they've seen this information? Well, I'd hope that they would take a look at the legislation that our legislators in the film are discussing and seek, seek out those legislators, seek out copies of those bills, print them out for themselves, Bring them to their own state legislators. Take the gold money bill. Take the tax escrow bill. Take these other bills that we talk about in the film. And go ahead and bring them to their state legislators and have them introduce. Uh, find groups that are acting in their towns or in their cities or states. Existing groups that are acting on these issues. And, and help them. Find out how you can help them reinforce these issues. 
That's the simplest thing. Okay. Any other hints on how to get people who just don't have that much interest in civics? They're sort of self-absorbed into their own, you know, private issues and and entertainment. What what kind of hints could you give to people to try to entice them to come to one of these screenings? Uh, Is there there a certain ways that you found effective on on what you can sort of roll into a, a viewing of it or a certain way you could couch it to pique their interest? Well, I don't. I do know that uh, some people are um, actually going to, um, some people are purchasing copies for resale, you know, and some people are going to make copies and hand them out, you know, as kind of gifts for coming or what have you. But mainly what people need to understand is this is tantamount to your freedom. This information is going to help keep our country a free country. Otherwise, we're going to end up like Europe. We're going to end up like, you know, Russia or, or some other country. And why would we want to do that? We're the, we're the, the, the free, freest nation on earth. Why would we want to go backwards? Okay. We don't want to go backwards. We want to go forwards. And And you've got the politicians on their heels right now. Uh, whether aware of a general discontent. Unfortunately, I see infiltrators that are part of the establishment that are trying to wrap themselves and drape themselves uh, with some of these keywords, and we cannot get rid of discernment. People first have to discover this new information that's old information, but they've been kept from it, and then they have to be discerning to find out who are the true spokesmen for this information and who is really sincere or has other agendas in it. Um, You know, at the end of your documentary... Uh, and this gets us into the spiritual aspect of things uh, that I want to comment here toward the end. The end of your documented credits, you put it in your acknowledgement section uh, that that you recognized one of the contributors was Jesus Christ for protection and guidance. I wondered if this would come can up. you can you comment on that? I'd be I'd be happy to. Uh, you know, that was in my special thanks, and uh, you know, I give God the glory uh, every day for uh, guiding my steps and protecting those steps. And I wouldn't be where I am today uh, if it wasn't for um, the Lord. I mean, that's just the bottom line. I mean, there's certain points in my life that I can point to directly, um, you know, certain dollar amounts that never, uh, I thought never would be there, and then show up almost to the the penny. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, there's things in my life I have experienced that I can only attribute to the Lord's direction and guidance. Mm-hmm. And uh, this film is definitely uh, the fruit of of that. So you feel like so this is part of his, part of his will, what you're doing and pursuing these venues. I I truly believe that. Mm-hmm. I absolutely believe that. Well, you know, this is a Christian show on a Christian radio station, so we we look at these topics. We have to see how it fits within a Christian worldview established in the Bible. Um, and what I have asserted on our show in, in weeks past, um, the Revelations, or excuse me, Romans 13 is the big issue with obeying authorities and being subject to them and things like that. And that's a common means by for even evangelicals to dismiss considering these kind of things or getting actively involved uh, that we're merely supposed to obey, don't ask questions, and, and go on. Uh, and in my response has been that if you look at the context of the audience of that book in the Bible, 
in fact, the entire New Testament, you were looking at a group of people who were under bondage and subjection to a foreign occupying power. Uh, Rome occupied the entire world, and there was actually no real rights that these people had to be able to affect any kind of change to the people. It would be foolhardy. You'd end up crucified in short order if you attempted to raise your voice you know, in any, any manner like this. Uh, so it was foolhardy to even go there. But we, we have a unique opportunity, I feel, in world history in the last few hundred years, and particularly where we are now in America and to some extent in the West, and that for the first time, the people actually have a right to pick their own rulers. And this has never really been present before, to my knowledge, for the most extent, maybe briefly in, in Greece and Rome. But because of that, it almost becomes a fact, rather than us being a subjected people, like the people that were the subjects of the writers in New Testament, we now become the kingmakers ourselves. We become the people who anoint the rulers, and there's a lot of guidance in the Bible about the action of picking rulers or administering if you're a ruler. And in fact, in our representative democracy, our, our leaders are in fact uh, representatives of us. And they go to actually do our wishes. They go place our vote on our behalf. So we become the leaders of our generation and our nation. These representatives go just to reflect our values and what we do. And because of that, I feel it's more relevant for fellow Christians to look at guidance in the Bible of what God expects leaders and administrators to do and recognize that that is our responsibility now since that mantle has fallen on each of us. Uh, and the proxies that we select to represent us, and and the guidance to administer justly and fairly, to look out for the disadvantaged, but to do it in a fair manner, um, that these really are the, are the guidelines we have because of this privilege we have in a representative democracy. Do you have any comments on that uh, or thought? Because, again, many Christians feel like that, you know, you know our kingdom is in heaven, it's not on earth, and we're looking for a brighter day. But do we have those kind of responsibilities that God said that rulers and administrators had, and is that relevant here? I think you, I think you really raised a, a wonderful perspective, and I, I think you hit it on the head. I couldn't agree more. Absolutely, and plus, you know, if you remember, um, the Bible tells us, you know, God told us in the very beginning that He told the Jews, "You don't need a leader; you can right. lead yourselves." Yeah. And the Jews decided, "Well, no, we still need a king." Well, look what happened to them under their king. They need to lead themselves. We need to lead ourselves. That's what this government is all about, being responsible for ourselves and doing that ourselves. Mm -hmm. You know, taking care of our brother and sister. You know, that's rampant through the Bible. We take care of our neighbor, take care of our neighbors ourselves. You know? So so why wouldn't we want to do that? You, you can even see through the book of Judges and really really throughout the Old Testament that Israel really started sinning when they didn't have a mediator of some sort, whether it be a judge or Moses or Joshua or anybody like that. So we as Christians, I mean, need to think about that for a second. Is our mediator God, uh, Jesus Christ, or is our mediator the federal government? <laughs> it's interesting how, how people get that get that confused. Right. I think it really uh, it really ends up giving us sort of an interesting perspective on where our citizenship truly lies. Right. Well, you know, mm-hmm. we've, we've also grown under generations of, of powerful central government since the time of the Civil War. And so we as Christians, having grown up that, look back at the book of Judges as some kind of failed state. 
And I think that's where we were referring to the time before they got a king. Uh, and, and we think about, you know, how dis- decentralized and disjointed they were until they, you know, rallied around Saul and then David and, and Solomon after that. But we forget the fact that actually God intended those people to be in that decentralized state. That was their intended end game when God brought them into the land. Uh, he gave everybody their own separate land under their own jurisdiction. It was all decentralized under their tribes. Uh, and they were mean to do their own thing together and only come together for religious ceremonies and services in Jerusalem. Exactly. And in the book of Judges, the only reason a leader had to come up from a, from a military or you know, government standpoint is when they sinned. When they sinned, fell under foreign oppression, then they had to elect among themselves, or God would, would bring forth a judge who would help them through that period of time, and then they would go back more or less to their decentralized state. And, and as you rightly point out, when they decided they wanted to be like everybody else and have a strong central government and a king, what did God say to them? What was going to be the issue? One was they were going to be taxed very, very heavily. And yes, God does care about taxes, and he's not real fond of it. He said they'd be taxed heavily, and he also said that they would uh, have their sons and daughters conscripted uh, to be put in warfare for the king, uh, be drafted for military use, and also for whatever purposes the king had in the central government. So I think it shows God's uh, distaste for strong centralized government, at least until his own son comes, who's a righteous judge. And actually can do it appropriately. Excuse me? I said, come quickly, Lord. Exactly. And in fact, uh, you know, I I also try to tell people, too, that uh, let's not get the mission of the church and the mission of the kingdom of heaven mixed up with with our civil government. Uh, That doesn't mean our civil government's not important. And the work that you've done here in this documentary is important for people to understand what its role truly is and how it can behave itself to not get in the way of our other heavenly purposes. Uh, because we, we, we need a government to maintain honest courts, to maintain a, a common national defense, and to keep each other's hands off each other's property. And that, that is noble work, but it's not the sacred work of the church. And so we go, we go to one extreme or the other, it seems like. And we have some Christians who want to make it synonymous with the church uh, and give, imbue it with that power, and that's never what it was intended to do. And uh, I just want to thank you all so much for your work to try to further clarify this. I know you all work tirelessly on this kind of work. And uh, I want to encourage you to uh, be thinking about one of your projects on your planning board uh, to look at the religious, spiritual aspects of what you're doing. And a message to the Christian community in America, because it needs to be delivered with words and nomenclature that they can understand. Uh, so there's not a disconnect. I don't know if that's something that you might find interest in, but I do well, think I'm, there is a real need for that. I've um, recently interviewed somebody for a, a prophecy work, actually, and I'm going to be hmm. putting something like that. I got a, it's, it's about an hour and a half interview, and uh, still still in the process of trying to figure out the best way to put it out there. So keep an eye open for that. Okay. Well, I, I will speak on behalf of uh, Tom Bionic here, is that when you start pursuing things like that and looking at the, the spiritual implications to the uh, the uh, people of faith in our community, we would certainly be glad to assist you in whatever way we can mm-hmm. in putting something like that together and put a, a biblical perspective on some of these very difficult you know civil matters. And uh, would be, be more than glad to help you in this kind of work. Um, any other projects you've got in the near future? 
Well, we are working, uh, actually, uh, just began production of the sequel to Camp Thema, which is uh, oh. called Enemy It's called Enemy of the State, Camp Thema 2. And in that, we're going to be taking a, a deeper look at some of the continuity of government programs that are in place in the event of national emergencies. Uh, we're going to go deeper to define national emergency uh, and uh, what what trigger mechanisms could be uh, applied to okay. cause roundups of people. That should be uplifting. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, while you're doing that, go find out what all those uh, vehicles are doing down at that airport in Florida, would you? Uh, that's got everybody's yeah. attention. I saw that too. Well, I know we got to run here, but I, I want to make sure our listeners understand clearly how they can get your product. Please tell them now how they can get Don't Tread on Me. It's a wonderful documentary. We saw it. Uh, it's it's a great work. You'll see people uh, like like uh, Alex Jones and other people that recognize Michael Beckner and others. How can they get the, uh, your product? Well, we want people to go to DontTreadOnMeMovie.com. That's DontTreadOnMeMovie.com. Uh, we want them to pick up a, uh, a DVD. They can pick up screener packs. Uh, they can also uh, register a screening uh, that they would be having in their town and join us this June 26th. That's DontTreadOnMeMovie.com. Okay. Well, I think that's the end of the line for us. Uh, any final words you got for our listeners before we say goodbye? <laughs> well, I, 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 guess I want no. to reiterate the, <laughs> I want to reiterate the screening business, and I, I do want to say that you know, while we're pushing June 26th as the screening date, some people can't do it on that day. Please don't feel like you're not sure. going to have a screening just because okay. you can't do it on June 26th. Okay. Um, we have several people registering screenings for other dates. Please, please, please hold the screening in your area. Get your group together, your church, your group, your whatever, your friends in your right. neighborhood. Uh, we even have one man holding a screening in his front yard. Okay. You well, know? I would recommend people get a projector and project it on the clouds in their community or uh, <laughs> maybe on the side of City Hall or something like that on the side of the wall, something where TV cameras are going to catch it, even maybe a billboard you could shine it on there. Yeah. But uh, make sure that that view gets out there. We thank you so much for the hard work you all do. Thank you for joining us. We hope uh, you've enjoyed your stay here and hope we'll come back again and see us again for your next project. Absolutely. Okay. Thank you so much, and God bless. We're back at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom Bionic. Yes. Uh, <laughs> you all need to go get this uh, documentary. Yeah. Uh, you can go to their uh, listing at the our past shows page mm-hmm. right next to uh, where we have their show archived, and we'll have a link there to it. Uh, it's Don't Tread on Me Movie. Yeah, Don't Tread on Me Movie dot com. Yeah. Uh, check that. Google it. You'll find it. Don't tread yeah. on me. And uh, get their other products. If you haven't gotten Camp FEMA, they're, they're good keepsakes. Alex Jones is in this presentation. Mm-hmm. Evelyn Vieira, some other famous people. Uh, quite mm-hmm. a few legislators are yep. involved. Uh, they rub shoulders with some pretty powerful people. And uh, they're a small production house, but they do great work. And their hearts are in the right place. And uh, they are beloved across the nation. Yeah, and, don't uh, forget the Mighty Tom Community Call. I was just looking at the little... And you'll be announcing that tomorrow on Tomorrow's Tremors, yes, right? Yes, and I'll be announcing it right now, too. Okay. Merv, <laughs> won't you announce them how to contact us at FutureQuake? FutureQuake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E 
at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we got to go. All right, let's get out of here. Come back for tomorrow's Trimbers tomorrow. Until then, we hope your future's always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I'm Tom. Uh, not really sure what to make of the architecture downtown, Bionic. Okay. This is past shadowing of a discussion in the studio just before the show began, right? You're right. I'm glad you glad they made that clear for the listening audience. Well, Brother Tom, uh, I'll try to get him to elaborate further on this to let you all in on it. But in the meantime, it's Friday on the Future Quake Show. It's great to have all of you all back with us. Uh, this week, we hope you enjoyed our guest this week on Future Quake. And as you know, today uh, is a special day. What is it? This is Tom? the day that we talk about the Future Quake community call that will be going on June 29th at 6.30 p.m. Uh, where you can come. It's, it's our first pre-recorded hey, you know, live show. You mix show. up a lot of our – got like 18 things going at once on here. Our listeners get confused. Uh, this is the time for you to name the show. That way they'll just show up at all of them. <laughs> okay, I was going to let you announce that here, but go on and finish your announcement. Okay, well, we'll be doing a call-in show. A it's pre- live. It's live, uh, although it will be rebroadcast as pre-recorded here right. on FutureQuake. But it will be a live call-in show uh, June 29th, which is a Tuesday, I believe, at 6.30 uh, via TalkShoe.com. And uh, what I would recommend is going to TalkShoe and typing in uh, Mighty Tom's Community Call. Is that Mighty Tom's with an apostrophe S or what? Yeah, Mighty Tom apostrophe S, uh-huh. Tom apostrophe S, community call. Um, the call ID, incidentally, you can use it to search for the thing, is 72353. Okay, and uh, as we get closer to that date, we'll have the instructions on the front of futurequake.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll do some news stories uh, on there. Uh, and then we'll open up the lines and let our Futurians yeah, talk some, about things. Take some phone calls and then right. and, uh, as soon as things get weird, hit the talk hang you, up button. Talkshoe.com <laughs> has agreed to allow us to rebroadcast yeah. it on WNO mm-hmm. later on. Uh, but it will be a chance to talk live and everyone will get to hear fellow Futurians. So yep. it's great. And uh, be looking be for some instructions soon. Uh, back to my original question I asked you. Yeah. What is Friday signify? Uh, well... In in Islam, it means that's like their holy day, I believe. Okay. Right. Yeah, if this was Islam quake, that would be very relevant. But mm-hmm. for the rest of our listeners, it Hodge is... Hodgequake. <laughs> Hodgequake. It is tomorrow's Tremors for today's review of the Futures News, where we do a review of the news every week at the end of the week, uh, particularly stories that uh, maybe are a little under the radar screen, uh, but we think has some significance to the Christian community here. Particularly those with a prophetic lens. Yep. And uh, you made that big announcement. Anything else, or should we dive right into our news uh, stories? Well, just that. Uh, uh, yeah. Let's just j- dive right in. I was. You always do that. Like last week, you're saying, "Well, I'm gonna say this." No, no, I don't want to go there. Sorry, man. And you leave this just air of tension. Like there's something you're withholding. I won't say anything anymore. Us. You're withholding. Uh, I take it all back. Got a story. Okay. Here I go. Uh, 
that since the oil thing's a big thing in the news, um, story came out today. Uh, evidence points to BP oil spill false flag. Uh, this was from Infowars.com. Um, Hmm. What would be the motive? Includes shale, well, just wait here. Evidence okay. points to BP oil spill, uh, false flag shares of uh, sales of shares and stocks in days and weeks beforehand. Uh, Halliburton Link and acquisition of cleanup company days before acquisition. These are some of the points. Troubling hmm. evidence surrounding the Deepwater Horizon explosion on April 20th it suggests that the incident could have been manufactured. On April 12th, just over one week before the Deepwater Horizon rig exploded, Halliburton, the world's second largest oil field services corporation, surprised some by acquiring Boots and Coots, a relatively small but vast experienced oil well control company. Uh, the, the company deals with fires and blowouts on oil rigs and oil wells. That's mm-hmm. a very legendary company. In fact, I've done work with their main competitor hmm. uh, in things. Uh, it was responsible for putting out roughly one-third of the more than 700 oil well fires set in Kuwait by retreating Iraqi soldiers during the Gulf War. In fact, I think that that movie that was on IMAX, The Fires of Kuwait, they sort of starred in that. Hmm. The deal itself is still under scrutiny, uh, with Boots and Coots facing an ongoing investigation into possible breaches of fiduciary duty and other violations of state law. Where this information really gets interesting is with the fact that Halliburton is named in the majority of some two dozen lawsuits uh, filed since the explosion by Gulf Coast people and businesses who claim that the company is to blame for the disaster. Halliburton was forced to admit in testimony at a congressional hearing last month that it carried out a cementing operation 20 hours before the Gulf Mexico rig went up in flames. The lawsuits claim that four Halliburton workers stationed at the rig improperly capped the well. As the New York Times uh, noted on the May 26th story, uh, BP officials chose, partly for financial reasons, to use a type of casing for the well that the company knew was riskier of the two options. Workers from the rig and company officials have said the hours before the explosions, gases were leaking through the cement, which had been set in place by the oil services contractor Halliburton. Investigators have said these leaks were the likely cause of the explosion. According to a 2007 study by Minerals Management Service, cementing was a factor in 18 of 39 rig blowouts in the Gulf from 92 to 2006. Hmm. Another intriguing connection Boots and Coots has to the Deepwater uh, uh, Horizon explosion uh, comes via Pat Campbell, the man BP has employed to cap the well beneath the ruined rig. Campbell worked for Boots and Coots as general manager for many years. BP is admitted to buying Yahoo, uh, Yahoo and Google keywords, and talk about this later, mm. uh, in an attempt to control publicly available information in the wake of the catastrophe. It seems that the company is taking That's all. Weird. Oh yeah, it's a, I've got the rest of the story later. It seems that the company is taking all the flack for the spill while the Halliburton link is being ignored. Uh, BP's prepared testimony briefing, which has been leaked online, also intriguingly notes that the hydraulic control system on equipment designed to automatically seal the well in an emergency was modified without their knowledge sometime before the explosion. The extent of these modifications is unknown at this time, states the report on page 37. Possible prior knowledge of the explosion is also evident via huge dumping of stocks and shares in the weeks and days prior to the incident. Goldman Sachs dumped 44 Four percent of its shares in BP oil uh, in the first quarter, uh, shares that subsequently lost 36 percent of their value, equating to 96 million dollars. Other asset management firms also sold used blocks of BP stock in the first quarter, although the amounts pale in comparison to Goldwater's holdings. While Covia, owned by Wells Fargo, sold 98 percent of its shares in BP 
and Swiss Bank UBS sold 97%. Uh, furthermore, as reported in the London T- Telegraph, on June 5th, Tony Hayward, the chief executive of BP, sold 1.4 million pounds of his shares, that's almost $3 million, uh, in the fuel giant weeks before the spill. Uh, in the days before the Deepwater explosion, Obama had announced a new effort to explore for at least new drilling locations in the deep Gulf and in Alaska. In the wake of the disaster, these plans have been canceled and BP is taking a PR bashing, all of which has been capitalized on by the Obama administration to revigorate talks of a carbon tax and has created the opportunity to reinduce the idea of nationalizing uh, oil companies, um, which the Democratic leadership has long sought. Uh, The full story of what's happening in the Gulf is yet to emerge, and there are rumors of more spills and ongoing cover-up, and this site represents a $2.2 trillion source of wealth and power a motive along with a plethora of suspicious activity that needs to be investigated further. Hmm. Interesting. So, the, so uh, just like before 911. Yeah, the whole whole buying key, uh, Google keywords is pretty weird. Yeah, there's a story I can share a little more detail on that later. Okay. They're how, purposely how controlling. How long is that one? The BP one? Yeah. Uh, pretty long. Let me get a quick yeah. one out of the way. I guess this isn't news. I thought it was news, but you had already heard this. So maybe well, not everybody has, I'm sure. Okay. Uh, and now, 26-foot-tall statue of Anubis, the Egyptian god of the dead, installed at Denver International Airport. This is via Nine News, which is a Denver affiliate. Ever since it was first installed at Denver International Airport, the 32-foot-tall blue Mustang has been the talk of the town, but a new addition is sure to get plenty of attention. A crew is installing a 7-ton, 26-foot-tall concrete sculpture of an Egyptian god at the airport. Anubis, a statue with a jackal head, will be built south of Jeppesen Terminal. Although part of the lore of the 9,000-pound Mustang is, is that its creator, Luis Jimenez, was tragically killed while making the piece, Anubis may be even more notorious. He's the Egyptian god of death and the afterlife. It's being put to, into preview the Denver uh, Art Museum's King Tut exhibit. The exhibit runs June 29th through January 9th, 2011, and Anubis will be standing guard during that time. So it gets yet weirder at Denver International and that, Airport. And their excuse would be, oh, well, we're just trying to promote the Egyptian exhibit, basically. Yeah. But it doesn't explain the paintings with the uh, little girls laying in coffins and... People with machine guns spraying stuff on the paintings at the Denver airport, does it? Yeah, that whole, like, I guess there's one where, like, Mao or somebody, some communist dictator's got his foot on the head of, like, mm-hmm. what appears to be a citizen or something. Yeah, it's painted it's there. It's totally crazy. And children are getting killed yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. It's totally crazy. Well, supposedly Denver was supposed to be an alternative seat of government in a national emergency. Did you know mm-hmm. that? They were moving uh, everything that. to Denver. I've heard that. Yeah. yeah. There's, a, there's quite a few people of the more out there conspiratronic researchers who say that that's going to be the place where the new world order mm-hmm. does its thing hmm. well when you start seeing that on the license plates in colorado you'll know that yeah you know, home of the new world order <laughs> so you know it's official yeah do you want to hear more about the, the i do yeah because this has long far-reaching implications so okay um this is from this uh internet rumor mail abc news um BP buys oil search terms to redirect users to official company website. Uh, BP spokesman analogies purchased to make it easier for people to find out more about our efforts in the Gulf. Um, B- 
Be careful what you click, especially if you're looking for news on the BP oil, uh, oil spill. BP, the very company responsible for the oil spill that is already the worst in U.S. history, has purchased several f- phrases on search engines such as Google and Yahoo so that the first result that shows up directs information seekers to the company's official website. That's weird. Yeah, a single Google search of oil spill turns up several thousand news results, but the first link highlighted at the very top of the page is from BP. Learn more about how BP is helping, the link's tagline reads. A spokesman for the company confirmed to ABC News that it had, in effect, uh, bought these search terms to make information on the spill more available to the public. We have bought search terms on search engines like Google to make it easier for people to find out more about our efforts in the Gulf and to make it easier for people to find key links to information on filing claims, reporting oil on the beach, and signing up to volunteer. Okay. That's a little weird. That's a little weird. Well, pretty weird, but it's not illegal necessarily. Well, oh, no, it's not illegal. They're, they are controlling. They now know we're in the Internet age. This sure. is inherently where people go. Mm-hmm. And they're doing what they can to manage the flow of information sure. to people. Sure. Uh, That's what I'd do. Yeah, but this is just one incident. You wonder how many other times this goes on. Um, oh, I'm sure this is. I'm sure this is the first time it's ever been thought of. Yeah, except <laughs> Toyota just did it yeah. on the brake thing. Yeah. Um, but several search engine uh, marketing experts are questioning F, uh, BP's intentions, saying that controlling what the public finds when they look online for oil spill information is just another way for the company to try to rebuild company suffering public image. According to Kevin Ryan, CEO of California-based uh, Motivity Marketing, research shows that most people can't tell the difference between a paid results page, like the ones BP has, and actual news pages. If you look at it from BP's perspective, it's a brilliant move, Ryan said. The other option BP had was to just not do this and let the news interpret what's going on. Heaven forbid that would be a free and open yeah. news source. Actually, uh, without, you make your own decision. You know, without putting your spin on it. I mean, then you have to buy the whole news outlet to be able to control it like yeah. GE not that does. And not that that's already been done. Well, they are, GE and others already own theirs. Uh, but they're getting so much bad press that directing traffic to their own site is a great PR strategy. Yeah. Terms related to this bill, from oil spill to Gulf disaster to BP, have consistently remained on the list of most search terms on Google since the spill began in April. Uh, if they're not buying that, uh, buying that link that goes back to their message... They're kind of leaving the universe to decide for itself. It's pretty proactive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it says, let's see here. Uh, Scott Slayton, who analyst who runs search engine marketing company Rivington, estimates the company is paying upwards of $10,000 a day to maintain the various search terms. That's pretty small change, really, compared to... Yeah, you know what they would be nice to go to off journalists. Be nice, yeah. You know, be nice if they went in the hands of somebody damaged by it. Uh, they, let's not get out of hand. Here. They paid to lock themselves into the first position against the oil spill terms, essentially putting a positive message on top of the news. But for BP, who some have estimated will spend billion, billions on cleanup for the spill, paying for these search terms is hardly significant. In the grand scheme of doing damage control on a negative situation like this, keyword costs are very marginal. Still, Ryan notes that no other companies have gone through public relations nightmares such as BP's have thought to do anything similar. Uh, However, Toyota, for example, did not buy terms related to faulty brakes earlier this year. Instead, when user searches Toyota brakes, car dealerships pop up as well as other news results. In addition to purchasing the search terms, BP also released a television ad earlier this week featuring the CEO Tony Hayward, in which he says... 
He stares in the camera and apologizes, saying, BP has taken full responsibility for cleaning up the spill in the Gulf. I'm deeply sorry, he said. So, uh, Bobby Jindal, the governor at Louisiana, slammed BP for its PR efforts. So he said in a statement, instead of BP shelling out $50 million on an ad campaign that promises to do good work in responding to this bill, BP should just focus on actually doing a good job, spend the $50 million on assistance to our people, our industries, and our communities that are suffering as a result of this uh, spill. But BP's B- BP, British Petroleum, PR campaign doesn't seem to be slowing. They've hired the help of a high-profile agency, the Brunswick Group, as well as Purple Strategies, led by political consultant Steve McMahon uh, from the Democrats and Republican political consultant Alex Castellanos. So I think this is the wave of the future. And it's just further manipulation control. We like to think of the Internet as a free source of information, and it well, is. Well, I mean, we've just, it's interesting that we've seen just in the, in the last month or so here with the BP thing, we've seen them, uh, you know, according to both NPR and CBS and CNET, they took people who were, you know, rescued, quote-unquote, and held them captive for a number of days to sign a confession. Uh, I just read something, and I was going to bring it, but I, there was just too many other weird mm-hmm. stories uh, there was another guy who, I guess, uh, just released a sworn affidavit testimony that's been, you know, put into the court record on, on behalf of people suing BP that he was screaming at some guy because they didn't do the ne- the, the necessary safety precautions. Yeah. He says, there, are you happy? Are you blankety-blank happy? Mm-hmm. The rig is on fire. The rig is on fire, and it's your fault or something mm-hmm. along those lines. Uh, we've seen them do this crazy PR campaign. We've seen them... Uh, somebody somebody did a flyover. Well, they kicked out CBS News, you know, off the uh, off the out of the water, out of international right. waters, the coast right. via the Coast Guard. Uh, it's just like, who's in control here? Well, right. obviously not the U.S. government. It's BP. Well, I think the long-term impact of this story is that they're getting wise to try to manipulate the internet, just like they have the mass media, the other mass mm-hmm. media. And it means you have to be extra diligent as a listener, as a user of news, uh, particularly Not as a me, Christian. I just believe whatever Fox News tells me. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Or that's how I do. A host it. of other things. Yeah. Uh, but you got to understand, and like I've told people before, when you watch news or information, they are basically sales jobs that they originate from a press release sent to the news groups, the news mm-hmm. wires, and they just read the press releases because they're lazy and do very little investigative work on their own. Mm-hmm. And so they will just read a press release of what was said and, and call that news. And so mm-hmm. uh, anyway, that's it's just getting more, and they're getting more clever on how to do it. So, I know. Isn't anyway. it nice? It's just, gosh. Thank you, BP. Well, it had to happen. Yeah, it just means we have to be very, very discerning. And when world events are going on, like the events in the Middle East and stuff like that, right now, mm-hmm. just realize you got a bunch of people yelling at you, putting a spin on information. Yeah, use your common sense. It's well, like Robert Hyde told me one time. Sometimes you got to stop getting all these quote facts and just stop and think, mm-hmm. and use some common sense, and and realize the things that make real, absolute sense, because you really have a difficulty. Controlling the quality of the information that's coming into you. Well, speaking of speaking of the Middle East, I heard that the Bilderberg Group has green lighted the attack on Iran. I read that somewhere today. Well, yes, and that was in the last couple of days, mm-hmm. and just in the last 24 hours after that, after uh, there were two stories that came out, and Debka ran them, which Debka is a Israeli site. 
they get a lot of information, passes it on directly from IDF and Mossad. Yeah. And they just stick it on the website. Yeah. Uh, it sort of puts their view on worldview on things. And they'll float stuff up, and I think they do that to try to sort of scare enemies and intimidate them. Mm-hmm. Two stories came up after this thing came out on Iran. One is um, uh, they said suddenly they have found Saddam Hussein, or not Saddam Hussein, uh, Osama bin Laden in Iran all of a sudden. So now they've got him and Zahiri in Iran. And it just happened to come out now, just days, after yeah, all this days time. Days after they said that they were going to attack yeah. Iran. Yeah, just trying to give an excuse for an attack to give our people, you know, what we need for an excuse. Yep. And then then also today they came out. It's been a lot of anti-Turkey stories. Basically, Turkey is behind, well, like I said in an email joke the other day, I think they've implicated them in the Kennedy assassination and the Lincoln assassination. Because yeah, Turkey now years. is behind everything. And now they're saying that Turkey and Ahmadinejad are going to run a flotilla together jointly uh, to try to break the blockade. So What? Yeah. Does Turkey know this? Uh, well, Debka said they did. They were all scheming together. Oh. Huh. So they're, so they're well, going to... Was Osama bin Laden going to be on that boat too? Or I don't know. Uh, and, probably uh, all the bad people. Yeah. Um, Wiley Coyote, you know, yeah, Snidely Whiplash, or whatever that guy's name one that's been killed half a dozen times yeah, in yeah. Iraq. So anyway, the PR machine is uh, is really running full steam right now. Mm-hmm. So the scary thing is is that it's coming to a head, and I would just tell our listeners, no matter where you sit on this issue, just recognize that all of these people, all of these parties, are manipulating your thoughts. Uh, sure to, to go one way or the other. Names, uh, look for inconsistencies in stories. Look for groups that change their story over time. But if if we're really coming, if people are insisting on a war, the the key parties, pray for peace. Pray if it's in the Lord's will, if He can tarry, if He can wait um, to bring these things about, so more people can get saved, so less innocent people will die. Mm-hmm. They'll they'll have more time. Uh, more time to hear the word. I just try to be intolerant to all other viewpoints. Is what I do. Just is that mine. right? Just mine. Even mine, I know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Mr. Intolerant, you got a story for us? Oh, one or two here. Lay it on us. <clears throat> Let me give you. A, how much time do we have? Uh, we got about five minutes. Do you have anything really awesome? No, I, I think I alluded on most of them just through that last talk. Oh, okay. Well, let's see. We'll go with it just a little bit longer, longer here. This is via the Telegraph, um, and they found some interesting uh, surprise, interesting links in the uh, 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 from autism spectrum disorder in their in the gut of, of yeah people. bacteria in the gut bacteria. Right. Yeah, you know about this too. Yeah, you got to get out and get some sunshine. I'm Doctor Future. You know. <laughs> uh, autism. This is via the Telegraph. Autism could be turned into a quote unquote preventable disorder about. After British scientists develop a simple test for the condition, diagnosis of autism has always been difficult, and often the conditions remain unrecognized until too late for treatment to have a maximum effect. But now researchers at Imperial College London have ordered, have discovered a potential way of spotting the disorder in children as young as six months old. They have found that children with autism spectrum disorder also suffer from disorders in their gut, and this can be detected with a simple urine test. That would mean that intensive behavioral and social treatment could begin before the disease has caused any permanent psychological damage. Professor Jerry Nicholson, the author of the study, said, Children with autism have very unusual gut microbes, which we can test for before the full-blown symptoms of the disease come through. If that is the case, then it, it might become a preventable disease. 
and I have to just have to ask, well, what are you putting in? What are you putting in your in your gut? Yeah. To, to yeah. make like a a five thousand percent increase in autism. I mean, well, like literally, you would think wouldn't vaccines sort of control the development of those a lot? Certainly. Uh, that be a. I mean, I'm not an expert <coughs> on it. Okay, don't get me wrong. I'm just thinking the vaccines dr- drastically will affect what stays, what's killed off, what mm-hmm. mutates. Certainly, certainly. Well, I just think it's interesting that uh, 80, 100 years ago, like you would have to go to a special hospital and a special wing to find like more than two people with autism. Right. You know, they kind of they didn't know what it was. Right. And it's, right. You know, now now they're saying that. It's around one in a hundred people have autism, and uh, yeah, I've heard even higher for like the very new boy. Yeah, yeah it's like it's one going up. It's yeah, not going it's, down. It's, it's going up like in a ridiculous. Right, right. Know, and some people up. say, well, they're they're just better at diagnosing it. You know, well, that only but that's it, not all of it. Yeah, you, you know? can't uh, you can't it it can't be that because we've got like literally a five thousand percent increase in autism. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. Um, and who knows how many of us have milder symptoms. That are just a milder strain of that that wouldn't be called full blown up, but you know things that affect us yeah. psychologically, yeah. affect our attention span, mm-hmm. you know our our intelligence and focus and that kind of thing. I could think of a whole bunch of things that I'm probably messed well, up. Well, you know, yeah. and I think it's maybe getting worse. Yeah, I think it affects <laughs> oh, why. Thanks. You, no, not you. I don't mean you, but I mean you know, like you know, it affects the attention span of kids in school. Sure, they say a lot of it has to do with their family breakup. You know how much TV they watch and games and all that mm-hmm. contributes, but it it could be affecting all those kind of things if it's not even full blown autism. Yeah, it's it's so bad, man. It's so bad. You Easier know, to control. Well, it seems like they're you know the whole or- Orwellian sort of vision of the future where we all got shaved heads and sort of sit around mm-hmm. in white lab coats and drool on ourselves is everything's being sort of pushed towards that. Well, they still want you to be a drone. They still want you to conduct work, the kind of work they wouldn't want to do. Yeah. So if if you have those symptoms where you can just focus on a single task mm-hmm. and just sort of go in your own world and just keep it's doing like that task ADD, repetitively, yeah. that is their dream come true mm-hmm. because that is exactly the stuff they don't want to do. They'd rather lounge around and yeah. you know philosophize and contemplate while somebody yeah. else is doing that. Watch uh, Fahrenheit 451 over and over again. Uh, that might make them a little yep. guilty. Well, one minute warning. Okay. Uh, they let's see. They used uh, eventually the link between the learning difficulties and the gut microbes could be established, and that could lead to a quote unquote probiotic treatment or cure. The researchers re- reached this conclusion by using a nuclear magnetic resonance spectro- spectroscopy. Uh, spectros- spectroscopy. That's it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Which is able to analyze the makeup of chemicals. Um, and we'll just stop there. Okay. Hey, we got less than a minute. Can I make just a little quick word? Uh, we've been getting a lot of feedback from our very wise, intelligent listeners mm-hmm. about the show we've done on dominionism mm-hmm. and some of this thing on the prophets and, and all this kind of stuff that's coming up. And oh, it is scary. Is. No, it is very <laughs> scary. People are, are providing to us, our good friends, much more information that things are much more disturbing uh, if you take it at face value, you know, you, you, you always have to remember context, but it's pretty scary. But I want to tell our listeners, if you have any information of your experience with any of these groups, and even far-reaching things like even the Salvation Army or whatever, where you mm-hmm. see some of these institutions where it's crept into, send us information because I think we'll probably be doing some more shows on it and doing some of our own research. we got to go. Merv, would you come to tell our listeners how to contact us at Future Quake? Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com 
suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, got to go. Bye. Okay, come back next week for another fantastic guest. Until then, we hope your future is always bright. Have a good day. Bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. Quake, quake, quake.